0: Welcome back to Backboard of the Rings. We have returned, like Joel Embiid, to the traders table, and there's only one thing to really discuss here for this episode. We have to, the whole this whole episode going to be dedicated to one moment that happened on November 18th, 2022, when Poku blocked Ja Morant. Shell, the only question, the only thing we need to talk about, does it mean Ja has to go play in China now? I mean, like, it's basically over for him, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, at the very least. You know, maybe he can go play in the same uh, Taiwanese team that Dwight Howard is just absolutely tearing it up with over there. Jaw would probably yeah, not get blocked very much in that league, I would imagine
0: it makes a lot of sense that does make that's probably what's gonna have to happen. but actually, that's not what we're here to talk about, even though I would de- dedicate fifteen minutes of this podcast to the Poku jokes. Uh, <clears throat> we're actually going to be doing a one thing that surprised us so far in the season. And one thing to keep an eye on for us through the season, we're about a quarter of the way through uh, the regular season so far, but it is not just me and shellen here. I have actually brought on a guest, which I'm sure you're surprised that I managed to coordinate this with my <laughs> brilliant s- skills. Um, our guest today may surprise you. This person has appeared on many, many, many Lord of the Rings, the card game podcast, but never once talked basketball but did spend an entire lunch at Con of the Rings talking to me about basketball, which I did not bring up first, which I, dear listeners, I'm sure you have now fainted and are just out of the floor in shock. Our guest today is the one and the only, Bayorn slash Dan. Hello, Dan.
2: Howdy, thanks for having me on. Yeah, to be fair, I, I brought up basketball because you were wearing a, um, a Bucks jersey, so it made it pretty easy to, to broach the topic.
0: Yes, that is true. I was wearing sports ball shirts every single day of the time, so I guess yeah, I was I was an easy mark. <laughs> um, but Dan, as I mentioned, I'm as you've never really talked about basketball on any of your things before. I'm, I'm sure many people are surprised that you're on here. Um, so why don't you just tell people like, um, give a little, give them a little bit of your history with basketball stuff, why you love it, some maybe who you're fans of, stuff like that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's gonna have to go. Back a ways, so I will try and keep the story short and sweet. But, um, I uh, my career has been in technology for 20 almost 25 years now, and one of the things that is a definite downside of technology is you spend a lot of time sitting at a desk. So, around 2000, I was a couple of years into my career and I realized like if I do nothing but sit at a desk and type on a keyboard all day, I'm not only going to lose my mind, but like in terms of physical health, it's just very bad for you. So I'd always played sports as like, as a kid growing up in like, you know, leagues and whatnot, but I actually played more volleyball and um, soccer or football to use the correct term. But, um, i um had some friends at the time that were working at the same company with me that had uh pickup basketball that they played and rather than you know I've always been more into team sports and individual sports and rather than go off and do team sports and not knowing anyone, which is obviously really difficult um I decided to kind of join with them and do pickup games and then see about like maybe joining some semi competitive adult leagues or whatever and um so that was, like, right around 2000, and I was living in San Diego at the time, which means that, like, as I got more involved in actually playing basketball, I was like, oh, I mean, what? you know, I'd hang out with them afterwards and uh, watch basketball, but I had to pick an, an NBA team, obviously, to to root for, and um, there's no way I was going to root for the, for the Clippers because you, <laughs> there's, like, some kind of Stockholm Syndrome thing where when your team gets stolen, right – like I think anyone who lives in Seattle will understand this. Like uh, your team gets stolen from you, you're not going to root for them when they're when they're now based in another city. To me, that's insane. So, uh, so the Clippers were right out. But I'm like, well, at that at that point it means, and you can't pick Lakers either. It's a whole Yankees Mets thing. It's whatever. Right. Anyway. Um, so I was like, okay, I have all the other NBA teams to pick from. And I just was like, I'm just going to watch a bunch of basketball and decide what, who my team is. And it just so happened at the time that the Steve Nash, Dirk Nowitzki, Michael Finley Mavs would, you know, like it was the precursor to the seven seconds or less kind of offense where it's like defense. What is that? We're just going to outscore you. And I watched a ton of their games. I was watching a lot of NBA back then, just playing a bunch of basketball. And I was not good when I, you know, going into basketball, having never played it, I was very, very bad. But one of the things <laughs> that I can say that I'm proud of is I've spent 20 years now playing pickup basketball, and I no longer suck to the extent that I did 20 years ago when I picked up the sport. But uh, anyway, long story short, fell in love with the Mavs. That is my team. Um, I ended up moving to Austin, Texas later on for career reasons, but it was also good for basketball reasons, because it's much easier to go up to Dallas and actually see games and see Luca, uh, in person. But, um, yeah, so that's my long winded rambling story of how I got into basketball is because I didn't want to become a, a desk troll doing technology. So,
0: Hey, that's a great choice.
1: My, my question here. So for those that, you know, haven't had have the pleasure of meeting you, you're, you're a relatively tall, uh, person when you're playing pickup basketball, are you, you know, more of, uh, a down low sort of guy? Or are you out there just shooting a bunch of threes? He's Wemby. What's your, what's your uh, oh, I, yeah, typical I, I, pickup Wimby. game?
2: Yeah, yeah. My comp is Wemby, guys. I mean, I'm saying. I'm okay. <laughs> I just <I, I>, <laughs> want like everyone. I spot everything in the fifth row now. Um, no, I, I'm definitely down low, old school. I got all the crazy spin moves, like I'll fake you three times and then get a layup on you in the, whatever angle you're not expecting. That's my that's my strategy and it's great because it's aged well like I, I was, I was
3: actually,
2: say. <laughs> so this is the thing like I have dunked on other human beings in games before but that was a long time
3: ago right
2: but I had that kind of athleticism and I didn't have I didn't actually know how to play basketball as the thing I just had <laughs> volleyball hops without a basketball brain which is a very dangerous combination and honestly led to some injuries but yeah so I was playing I played much more like spastically energetically when I was in my 20s but I'm no longer in my 20s, and so now I play like back to the basket, lots of fakes, lots of you know, very um...
1: perfect. You've aged into the old man, YMC. Oh,
2: I, I've got full-on old man yeah. game. Great, yeah. it's great. <laughs> uh, everyone, uh, everyone, in my uh, local pickup game here in Austin knows knows me as the uh, the reverse layup guy because I love to like throw you a fake with one shoulder and then spin and get a get a reverse layup on you. So it's my go-to go-to move
0: you said you were a volleyball person growing up no one ever was like when you were like i don't know if you were tall when you were a kid we're like you should play basketball because that's what happened to like every, it usually happens to tall people so they go you should play basketball when you're in like middle school yeah. and did not happen
2: someone said that the the high school i went to in san diego was quite large and we had a, actually a really good basketball team and uh. i was good enough to make the basketball team which like i tried out and i just straight up did not make it but uh so i was like oh i'll do volleyball instead and that was like happened young enough that i kind of went down the volleyball track but um yeah and i turned out i was only so so at volleyball too but um yeah it's i honestly basketball to me is so much better of a sport though in terms of like it's a true team sport right i I, I really love that about basketball is that it's it's like as much mental as it is physical, whereas volleyball, I would say, is more physical than mental. Like there's a mental aspect to it. Don't get me wrong. But like once you lose those hops, you're not going to be a very effective volleyball player.
0: Right. right. Definitely. I mean, I I love Haikyuu, the, the manga. But yeah, I could see if you're... Uh... Getting older, yeah. it becomes more difficult. This is the
2: thing that's funny is like, I can't dunk anymore, but I honestly think I'm a more effective basketball player now than I was when I was 20, right? So it's, it's almost your brain. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah once so. you kind of wire the brain, it's, uh, you just know more. That's why, like, LeBron is still an effective player now, even though he's 38, because he has just have his brain is so wired. He's probably yeah. a better player than when he was at 22, even though at 22, he was Adonis, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, no, it's one of my favorite things to see when watching it be a game is watching a vet just absolutely outthink a rookie who's, you know, twice as athletic as he is, but just completely, like, win the, the Jedi mind trick game, right?
1: Right, so those last couple seasons of watching Dirk there in Dallas was probably just great.
2: Oh, man, I mean, it's so great to watch a rook be like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get, you know, I... I I, I know where he you know, I know where he is on the floor, I know he's gonna get to that turnaround, I'm gonna get to it. And he's like, No, you're not. Like no <laughs> one can block that. Even he, he would tell you he was about to shoot his turnaround and no one could block it.
0: Yeah. He was uh I I will say as a Bucks fan, big regret that they traded him. I think like that was the one I think that tracker trailer and he was like an okay player, but was obviously one
2: of the most questionable draft day trades.
0: And, you know, Dirk, too, he was a German guy in, in Wisconsin. Come on, we love the Germans. We like, loved him. Uh, yes. He would have went perfect. Yeah, big big loss for us. Um, I guess it all worked out. The Bucks eventually got uh, true Adonis, a Greek god, and won a title again. So I guess I don't have to bring it up anymore, so it's okay.
2: <laughs> no, I, I'm sure, I'm sure you, you, you'll get a couple more times in bringing it up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so now that we kind of know a little bit about Dan's background, um I guess let's just move right into our uh one thing that surprised us so far in the season. Does anybody want to go first or um does it really matter? I can go first oh, yeah. if-
2: let's go first. I'm I'm curious to hear what your guys' takes are.
0: Yeah, go for it there, Bartley. Okay. So we've already actually mentioned the person that my thing is related to in a joke. And my thing is loserama for Wenbenyama? Question mark, question mark, question mark? I mean, we were told before the season started that this would be an all-time tank job from teams. Teams would be falling over themselves to have the worst record in the league in an attempt to draft Victor Wynn Benyama, who, for the record, is doing insane things in France. He's like doing a rudder three-point shots. He's blocking as Dan said, blocking people in, like the fifth row. It's, he's he's leading like his a,
1: league like, in scoring, alien. I think. Still, yeah, no, it's, <laughs>
0: crazy. it's crazy. He's, he's insane. Uh, I mean. When people talk about him being the generational superstar from what we've seen, it looks like the real deal. And there are other really good players. Scoot Henderson, the Thompson brothers, they also look very good. So you would think that this would be a great year to be tanking. And what's surprising to me is the amount of teams not tanking. And I looked up preseason win totals and there were a handful of teams under 30 wins. Um, And I'm going to highlight the Five worst teams, and we'll go over how many wins they have now compared to what their over under or their win total was supposed to be. And like, what is going on here? Because this is surprising to me that I think we have teams winning that for sure we thought lock on would be just in the tank and the crapper. And these teams are Houston. So I I should point this out. We are recording this on Wednesday night, the 23rd. There are games happening right now. Uh, We're not going to talk about them. If things change, it's going to be very slight. It's not going to matter that much. Houston was projected to win 23 and a half games. They're currently at three. They're terrible. Uh, I guess uh, let me do my quick Houston rant here. I do not like this like process style all out tanking because I think it's bad for your team culture. Like Nobody in that team knows how to play basketball except for Shangun, is is detrimental to their young players to basically just throw them out there with chickens with their heads cut off. And it's actually, I think it's going to do irreparable harm to these players in this team. I think it's a mistake to be this bad. Um, I think you have to be, you have to have some vets to teach them how to play. Uh, anyway, uh, the next team that also is projected to win 23 and a half were the Indiana Pacers. They have 10 wins. <laughs> They're almost halfway there already. It's like, We thought for sure this would be a team in the tank, but they are actually so good that people are saying they might be looking to add players. Um, You know, we thought Buddy Heald and Miles Turner would get traded away. Miles Turner even was on a Wojcic podcast being like, trade, (laughs) Lakers trade for me. And now, like, they might sign him to an extension, you know, if he wants it, because they tried to trade him for eight straight years, basically. But he fits their team. He... It's only 26, so he still kind of fits this timeline with Halliburton and Matherin, who look freaking amazing. Um, I have written down here, Halliburton, right now, he's averaging 20 points and 10 assists and 40% from three. That's insane. And Benedict Matherin might not only win rookie of the year, he might win sixth man of the year because he's got seven 20-point games already this year. Um, So another team that that I thought for sure was going to be in the tank and is now... um, as of the recording, they're fourth in the standings in the East. <laughs> like That's a home court team. Uh, Oklahoma City, they were also at 23.5. They currently have seven wins. Uh, SGA is too good. I think I brought this up in the preview one we did. I was like, SGA is too good to tank. Uh, he looks like he might be a top five MVP candidate. He's playing amazing.
2: MVP candidates are make it hard to have a tanking team.
0: Yep. Yeah, I
1: mean, he had that. Eight game stretch where I think we, you know, you saw the the stat line of it, and it was like, basically thirty five point triple doubles that he put up for like two weeks straight. It's just crazy. He's playing, yes, just outside of his skull.
0: Yeah, I think was it um, on the hoop collective. I think it was either was one of the Tim's brought it up that SGA is the type of player you tank to get, and it's like they have him already, right? So it's like they kind of don't need to tank anymore because you've already got the guy you would. Try to tank to get a player as good as uh, Shea. Um, obviously, I think trading him is off the board at this point. We, I think, I discussed. There was a lot of talk of like he doesn't fit the timeline of this team. But he's, he's too good. You can't oh, get rid of him at this yes, point. Yeah,
2: sir. He's yeah. He's too. He's still too young to trade away with this. With this, like you look at how good he is now. What is his potential three, four years from now? When the rest of those guys are going to start to enter their prime, right? Like that's it. Would be stupid to trade him.
0: Yeah, and. You know, I know this is a team that I, I joked and called them the Tankers before, but I think that one year they had Chris Paul did wonders for that team, and especially like SGA taught him how to be a pro. I mean, he, I don't think he would be the type of player if they hadn't, Chris Paul had dragged their asses to a postseason in one year and showed them what it's like to be good. Um, so I think they have a few plays. Dort, I love the Dorter Chamber um, as well. So um, yeah, Oklahoma City, I think is two. They probably should not tank. They're too good already. Um, the team that's probably the most surprising, which is Utah, they were projected at 24 and a half. They have 12 wins already, basically halfway there. <laughs> and, uh, Sheldon, you picked them as the team that have the worst record for the year. I did. Uh, let me tell you what their seed right now is in the West. Oh, it's number two. <laughs> uh, I don't think that they're tanking anymore. They may be another team to add. They just have a whole bunch of players that don't suck and a bunch hey, of Corey vets that Mark, kind of know how to play Corey
2: basketball, Mark, right? Way too good if you're thinking that team's a tanking team.
0: Yeah, this
1: was a pretty big oversight on my part here, too. When we talked about, like, these tanking teams and teams that were going to be bad, Houston makes sense. It's all young guys. Like, when you look at Utah's roster, yeah, Markinen, the step that he's taken this year, he, he was always a good player uh, previously, but, you know, he played insanely well for finland in euro basketball this summer um dragged them to like the semifinals and had a couple like 40 point games over there Mm -hmm. and has just picked up where he left off but not just him clarkson in a starting role after spending all those years as the sixth man has looked great um conley's injured right now but he was playing super well (laughs) as usual yeah and they're not getting anything out of colin sexton right now either which is the crazy part like he's been in a real shooting slump the last couple of weeks, uh, and they're still—they're not just feasting on bad teams either. You know, I mean, they beat Portland the other night, they beat the Suns the other night. Like, this is a good basketball team. Uh, you just have too many veterans on this team to tank. Yeah. Ownership tanks, players don't tank. Well, right. I, mean, I don't—I
2: don't think Danny Ainge wants to straight up tank either. I, I don't get the sense that that's the way he looks at it. I could be wrong, but it, it just, yeah. Yeah, it, the the, the CP three factor for OKC is in play here too because I think Conley is one of those like consummate professional kind of guys. And granted, his body is you know at, at, at this point in his career, his body is clearly betraying him. He's been injured mm-hmm. pretty consistently in Every the last year. years. But the reality is, super professional guy knows the game. You know, he's teaching and mentoring the youngsters on that team.
0: Yeah, and Will Hardy is a good coach. I mean, he was. It I, he was so long rumored to be the San, New, San Antonio guy, then he went with May to Boston, and then oh, he fled at the right time. But uh, and then, I mean he he's showing that he's like the real deal coach. Uh, they're seventh in assists per game. They have the eighth uh, best net rating. The four, fourth in offense, like they yeah, play all- well. They. Ridiculous, yeah.
2: honestly. I, I like this is the thing. I right? I didn't think they were gonna be as bad as, as you did, Chelan. but uh I, I also picked them as like, oh, I don't think they're gonna have a very good year. But the thing that's really shocked me about Utah is how good their offense is. Mm-hmm. And it's weird, they're like hobbled together with all these crazy, like uh what is his last name? Kelly um Olenek, right? Like yeah. just yeah. you weird know, pick and rolls and like all this crazy action on the wings to get open shots. And it's like it's a very strange looking offense, but it works.
1: Yeah, fourth in the yeah. league in three-point attempts and three-point makes. You know, they're one of the best rebounding teams in the league, too. Like <laughs> you know, you you figure the defense might not be able to hold up with all these, you know, slightly older guys and then you know Clarkson and Markinen aren't exactly yeah. I was
2: gonna say like when I see defense, I don't think I don't think Jordan
1: Clarkson. Right. Hey, yeah. But they're fun. Like they're they're fun to watch. I they've already got twelve wins. What'd you say their over under win total was on the season?
0: Twenty four and a half.
1: Yeah. I mean they're halfway yeah. there. That's crazy. Like nobody, crazy. Even the most optimistic jazz fan could not have expected that this is what year one of the post Gobert and Mitchell rebuild would look like. Like, they don't even yeah. care that Mitchell looks like an MVP candidate because he he wasn't going to play like this for them. So, like, what they got for him is amazing.
0: Yes. Uh, they very much kind of, this might be a weird analogy, but it's almost like they opened up the fridge and they saw a whole bunch of ingredients. And some people would take those ingredients and be like, I have nothing, throwing everything away. They were like, let's put them in the pot and make something. And they, they came up and they they made something good. And it's like, it's like, yeah, you had a whole bunch of, like, good, decent ingredients. And, you know, the chef knew what to do. That's Will Hardy, and I, I I'm very, very impressed. And um, they were kind of my inspiration for this uh, losing rama for Win Benyama thing because, um, I mean, everybody's talked about it, but you have to. It's so shocking that they're not just competent, but that they're good. And another team I mentioned with Indiana, maybe they would want to keep Miles Turner. Utah, maybe they could add pieces if they think that they're good enough. I mean, I mean right now they
2: look like they're good. I mean, it's early, right? But yeah, yeah. they definitely, they definitely are going to, are going to at this pace shatter their, their, uh, you know, preseason prediction on win total.
0: Yeah. But
2: just on this topic, though, is I do think this is evidence that the changes to the, um, the draft model have actually worked because I don't think, like, granted, yeah, there's going to be some percentage, you know, advantage that uh, Houston has for women, Yama, Yana, and if they get him, then it's a coup, and, and it was worth whatever horrible, potentially worth whatever horrible culture damage they did to the team to get there, but it's, it's not outsized like it used to be, right? So you can be, like, somewhere in the range of, like, mediocre to actually pretty good, and it... It it isn't necessarily a no-brainer that okay, if you don't think you you've got a championship team, you should just tank, right?
0: Yes. I mean, you get like a 14%, I think it's like a 14.6% chance or something like that of getting the top pick if you're the one of the three worst teams. It also means there's like an 86% chance you won't. So it's like you have to weigh those odds. Obviously, if you choose to be good, you have a zero percent chance of getting it. But um yeah, you don't have to be as abysmally bad as like those process Sixers you can just be kind of bad or like um a team that uh also is not doing well that was projected under 30 is Detroit they have three wins and I think they thought they were going to be better because they thought they were going to take us up four, but they've had some injuries blah, blah 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 they're not that good this year but it's like they're not intentionally taking they wanted to win and so it's like they're still trying to build something I think um Yeah, and they're
2: going to be in that category that I'm talking about where they still have a shot at him, but they're not necessarily going to have the shot that, you know, like, if they're actually still trying to win in January, which that remains to be seen. But like, it's, yeah, it'll hurt their chance at him. But to your point, it's not going to hurt it that much. Because even at the bottom three of the league, you still only have a, you know, an outside shot at getting him. And it's tricky, right? Like, I understand he's a generational talent. I completely see the upside of getting him. But the reality is, You can't have a guy like Laurie Markinen on your team and say, hey, by the way, we're going to tank like you don't keep good players when you have that strategy and you're not going to attract good players when you have that strategy. And even the like the vets on the team, especially are going to be like, why the hell would I be here if you're not actually trying to win basketball games? Right. Like it just the whole culture, it's just a set of dominoes where you, you you ruin the culture systematically by saying like we're a tanking team or a process team, I guess is the new way of putting it.
0: Yeah. If if you tank too hard, like I said with the Houston thing, I think it can do damage to your team. If you I, I mean look at Memphis, they got job, but they didn't go into the full-on tank. They yeah. I think they were like the eighth best odds that year or whatever, and they got the number two pick and it's um, so
2: much better of a model, right? Right. Like you pivot into you pivot into relevance and and contention like very quickly. Like they went from oh yeah, they're kind of bad to like oh wow, they're scary and that was a two or three year transition, right?
0: Mhm. Right, cuz you still have decent pieces around. The thing is if you tank too hard and you get all these guys who are still like Houston and that are really raw And you don't have anybody to teach them. It's like your team is just going to suck and they're not going to get any better because you don't have any infrastructure to teach them how to get better. You're just like, go out there, get empty stats because we want to suck. And it's like, well, they're not at some point you have to like, you just can't suck forever. And yeah. it's difficult to turn around a losing culture that accepts failure and losing as what, as its identity to be like, Nope, now we're going to be winners. It just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. You know, well,
2: there's a very real risk. Like, let's say you get your moonshot and you actually draft the guy you were, you were aiming, you were processing for, right? Well, if he's surrounded by a bunch of dudes that don't know how to win and don't have the right attitude and professionalism, do you really think he's going to want to sign that first big rookie extinction extension yeah. and double y- down see. on your team? like? <laughs> He's gone, man.
1: I see you've watched Ben Simmons' career. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. Um Oh God, yes. The the Six the Sixers are the other reason why we would bring this up is I think that you could say it worked to an extent they got Joel Embiid and I guess they have James Harden, but at the same time it's like all those guys they tanked for, the only person left on the team is Embiid. Like yeah.
3: Well
2: and, uh, I, and I remember
0: I remember all the
2: all the Nerlens Noels and all the Noelle, yep. and
1: Michael Carter uh, Williams and
2: the was in Orlando I don't even know where he is now but I know he false. Uh, false. right like couldn't forgot how to shoot like the number of times that they oh man to think that that could have been Tatum that's the thing that it, like that's one of those NBA what ifs where I'm like man if you take that Sixers squad and it's Tatum which they clearly don't ship him off to to uh, to Orlando for a pack of bubble gum and, and 25 cents, like, Embiid with Tatum next to him is
0: terrifying. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and also, they, I think they made some mistakes, too. I know it's hindsight to be like, oh, you will, you should have taken the flyer on Giannis, but if the whole point of their team was like, we're just going to take these wild swings and try to get the highest upside guys, why would you, I mean, that was the year they, I forget who they took that year, but, but it was like, why would you not just do that? if that was the whole point of the process was to just try to hit home runs and you cared nothing. You didn't even want triples. So it's like, uh, I don't know.
1: And then as Jimmy Butler famously said in the tunnel, Tobias Harris over me. Like, yeah, there, there were other issues that they (laughs) did with roster construction as well. But yeah.
0: yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I guess my last team in this list to quickly bring up, they are full in the tank, pretty much. San Antonio. They were projected at twenty four and a half, thirty six wins. They're on a horrible stretch. They are going to suck. Um, not a lot to say about them. And that's as, yeah, they're bad. They have a couple of okay players, but they stink. And they might be they might be tearing down a little bit too. I think Pirtle, the namesake for the Wordle NBA game, is too good, and he might get traded. So um, they will also be probably getting worse. But it would be funny if. They got Wimbenyama, considering the last time they were terrible, they got Tim Duncan and were amazing for a lot of years. What if they got Wimby? That would just be hilarious. But um, that is my thing that has surprised me, is teams that we expected to suck and really go hard in the tank. And three of the five lowest projected win total teams, I think, are decent to good or have something that prevents them from tanking, you know? So uh in the year where we're all losing it over Wemby and thank God ESPN plus has got his game so we're not trying to watch crappy cell phone footage. Teams are not tanking as much as I think intentionally, as much as I think we thought. There are teams that are tanking unintentionally, such as the Lakers, uh yeah. <laughs> and uh the Hornets are a little bit too we mentioned That's Detroit. The and stuff. Yeah, and uh yeah. Too. And I think the Bulls could be heading that way too but um that is my that's the only
1: right
2: right? it is still early like we'll see in january if teams suddenly get religion and find that they they too
0: (laughs) right should be yeah for sure yeah once the trade deadline opens up and on this list actually for the projected under 30 was brooklyn at 29 and a half if things they're kind of steadying now i think they're 8 and 10 so they're kind of like okay now but we, that's a sort of volatile team we have no clue about anything that could be happening with that team for all we know we'll have another bizarre Kyrie thing We'll, you know Ben Simmons could get injured again KD could demand a trade we have freaking no clue so that's a team I think to keep an eye on for like yeah you mentioned January trades it could, like, everything could blow up there we don't know anything about that team so um I
2: mean, generational talents have a have a pull on the dynamics of the nBA, right?
3: <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, so oh. who's going next?
2: I think Shellen should go next. i'm I'm the okay, guest right.
0: okay, sure. Right. so my
1: my original thing that surprised me was going to be talking about the taking teams as well. so I've been uh, <laughs> working working on my backup uh, one here a little bit while we were uh, discussing that one. And for me, what has surprised me, not necessarily the placement in the standings, because we kind of thought this middle, bottom middle of the West, we kind of had a good idea of who they were going to be this season, but how fun they have been uh, has kind of been my surprise. So I'm talking teams like the Portland Trailblazers, the Sacramento Kings, and the New Orleans Pelicans.
0: Like the um, Beam.
1: Yes, it light the beam, exactly. So I'm going to start with them, because you, Bardley, you predicted before the season that they would make the playoffs. Uh, Great. I, yep. Yep. I thought that a couple teams below them in the standings currently were going to be better than them, and they weren't going to make it. It should be noted that as we're talking here, the West standings, there is exactly 1.5 games separating first place from 10th place. So, I mean, it's it's all really tight there in the West right now, so... Saying that somebody's you know sixth or second is a little tricky because that's going to change probably tomorrow. But the Kings have been so fun this season. Uh, the light the beam thing, like you're talking about, I love more than just about anything that has come up kind of organically in the NBA. It, it feels like a dumb college tradition in the very best ways. You know what I mean? Like like every student section's got their like thing that you know who knows how it started, but they do this weird thing. Like Wisconsin's jump around for football or the, the 10 clap at UCLA, and all these sorts of things. that, it, And the, the beam kind of feels like that for me, for those that don't know. The Kings just shoot a big purple laser off the top of their stadium when they win games now. Uh, you know, they've got the player of the game pressing the button to turn it on, ch- fans chanting for it. But the Kings here, they have the second best offensive rating in NBA history so far this season, which... You know, offensive rating and, and shooting and those sorts of things have been trending upwards over the years. It's kind of like quarterback rating in the NFL. Like, all of the best ones are from recent times. Same right. here with the advent of three-point shooting and whatnot. But that's still wild. They have the second... Their they're starting five, um, or, or or I guess most played lineup, has the second-best net rating in the entire NBA this season. Um, the Warriors starters are number one, which isn't that big of a surprise but but Fox Herter Barnes Keegan Murray and then Sabonis is the second best five-man group in the NBA in terms of net rating this season and they're actually the third best for defensive rating for starters in the NBA too so it's not just the like their bench lets them down defensively but like this is a legitimately good basketball team this isn't just a, a beam meme team at the, at the moment like the Kings are legitimately good um, yeah. and, and have been fun to watch, which is something that I don't think we've been able to say about the Kings since the Bibby
0: and Weber days, yeah. right? Yeah, long, since long like 05 run. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm super impressed with the way that they've played. Um, I still might say that trading Halliburton in the long run was a mistake because he might be. Turn, he looks like he might be better than Fox already, but yeah, I mean, it's really unlocked Fox in particular. Uh, he's still at the end of the games, it's still a little crazy, um, trying to close it out, but it's like, oh, a little bit of a whirl- roller coaster at times, but uh, he's been very good this year, and you know, Sabonis is a pro's pro, so it, it definitely improved their floor, you know, and I, as mm-hmm. you said, I predicted them to make the postseason, uh. I think I said they would I think we both said play in and I said they would win in the play in. Mm-hmm. And uh, at this rate, I think they're going to beat the Golden State Warriors in the play in and the Warriors are going to go home. So, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about that <laughs> prediction. <Shall> we, <laughs> for
2: anyone that has followed the history of those two teams in the last 20, 25 years, that would be such an amazing outcome.
1: Yeah, it would be wild. Um, <laughs> it is. Not I don't think is amazing. Uh <laughs> no i would not you're correct um well i i wouldn't be surprised if we talk warriors a little bit later uh <laughs> so i might say <laughs> any any comments i have for that but okay but yeah i wouldn't be shocked if that was the outcome
2: i i love that you brought this up by the way because this is going to be a perfect segue into mine because mine was i wanted to highlight two trades that surprised me and one of them was mccollum to the pels and then the other okay. one was the sabonis yes. Package to the Suns and so, or to uh, sorry, to the Kings. And this is, we're right in the same ballpark on all this stuff. So this is fun.
1: Yeah. I mean, do you want to dive into the, the Pelicans then here, since they were kind of my other.
0: Oh, I mean, I'm
2: not I'm not trying to steal your thunder I'll, here you, you you kick it off and then I'll, I'll carry the torch once we're ready to, to transition
0: I also had pelicans related stuff uh in as, a, as a I, well, I, thing, kn- so I knew, knew you fun. wanted
1: to talk pelicans uh, for sure there, partly because oh yeah because I'm uh, a freaking
0: i basically peliper that Pokemon <laughs> I'm just mm-hmm. like I turned into one
1: <laughs> yeah so I mean the pelicans their, like advanced metrics and lineup metrics are not quite as impressive as um, the Kings are, or or even maybe like the jazz or anything like that. But we talked before the season that the biggest thing for them was going to be that that five man group because of Zion being out and McCollum just getting there has Mm -hmm. just never played together before and was, you know, Herb Jones, Valanchutis, you know, CJ Ingram, Zion. Can that work? That's a lot of ball-dominant players. Um, and, you know, they're they're hovering right around 11th or so in terms of NBA starters on net rating with those guys, which for a group that's only played these 20 games together, I think is pretty remarkable. We've seen Zion come out um, looking good. You know, like the, the, the feeling that we saw at the beginning of the season of him looking like he was in shape, the optimism, and all those sorts of things is paying off. Uh, Alvarado is a hilarious pest <laughs> in the backcourt. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and Ingram and CJ are are working well enough there. You know, they're another one of those teams. They're not great at anything. You know, they're not uh, one of the best defensive teams or one of the best at offense, but it, they're near the top in field goal percentage and offensive rebounds. And that's doing enough for them as they're kind of getting this gel going on. I, I said that the bottom of the West would be bad enough that they had time if they stumbled out of the gate, uh, and they haven't stumbled out of the gate, which is great, because I think they're just going to get better as this starting five and, and rotation kind of gets figured out for how they're going to stagger their guards and that sort of thing.
2: Yep, no, I, I'm in total agreement. and uh, McCollum, th- so this is, th- you yeah, know, we'll, we'll get into the trades in a little bit, but McCollum is one of those things where sometimes when you add a player, you do not just add what they are on paper and he has been everything as advertised I would say on paper but you're adding something else as well which is like he was you know another one of those like consummate pro like knows the game is a really you know smart smart player and you can just see that influence start to like Leak out into the rest of the team, and you see the way that they play. Is maybe this is me reading more into it than than is actually there, but it just seems like they they like, like 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 you said they're still figuring some stuff out. Zion's coming back, obviously that changes the dynamics of the team quite a bit. But it just they seem legit, right? Whereas before they had this, they had the youth, and they had you know the they were intriguing, but it didn't necessarily fit together right?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think that McCollum trade was really like the the, the ingredient that like makes the dish, right?
0: Yeah. He, he, as you mentioned, he's 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 had big moments in the playoffs with uh, the Blazers. You know, they went to Western Conference Finals. I know it wasn't like the most impressive one ever. Who cares? They went to one and they've won big series. Uh, I know Dame has usually been the one making the shot, but even he's the president of the Players Association, so that, you know, he's well respected amongst his peers, you know that means he's just a real. As you mentioned, pros pro, he kind of knows what's going on. Um, very, you need. As we mentioned, you you still need that veteran presence on a young team to help them learn and grow and teach them what they need to do. So, and it's not always just them saying it. It's um, is young players seeing it too? Seeing like, um, oh man, look at how early this guy comes to the gym, or look at what this guy's doing. For his diet, for his body, it's like I need to be doing this too because I see now that this is how you have success. So him being Zion on the team is so
2: either way to me, right? So him seeing McCollum yeah. and using him as a as a role model versus someone else he could see, right? Like I think about when um when the Pels had uh, Boogie, right? And like who would I want Zion's mentor to be? Boogie Cousins or and I understand this is- <laughs> But you guys take my point here. Is like you want McCollum to be the mentor, not Boogie Cousins,
0: mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and uh, as far as the potential goes, I think in the, in that preview, I was like, man, if everything works out, Western Conference Finals could be like their ceiling, and I, I'm like, NBA Finals could be their ceiling if things really work out for them. At this point, they've looked at times so damn impressive, and um, as I said in the thing, I was like, Zion is the big X factor. If he's healthy and plays. We know how dominant he can be. Um and you mentioned I can't believe you did not say his nickname, Shellan. I, I, I was I saving it for you there. The, okay. That makes sense then, because you gotta call him Grand Theft Alvarado, of course. Oh, I was gonna yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I was gonna say
2: must like, be, we can't go we can't go that far into Pell's talk and not bring up Grand Theft Alvarado, because that is one of the greatest yes. names ever.
0: Yes, hilarious nickname, hilarious shtick that he does with the hiding thing and the crouching. It's so funny, but it, it works. And um, he's added a lot to the team. I mean, there was a game a couple of weeks ago where basically he won them the game in the fourth quarter. And then the next game, he was huge in the fourth quarter again. And the the lineups with uh, Alvarado, B.I., and C.J., they haven't been on the, the court a whole bunch together because of injuries and stuff, and also because uh, at the beginning of the year, Willie Green wanted to play Devontae Graham instead of uh, Alvarado, and basically he yeah, yeah. stole all of his minutes because he's a better player. Um they have been very, very effective. The problem with that would be if you add Zion to it. Um, and this was this was my thing. I had this in my things to keep an eye on. Was there? I'm not sure what the rotations and lineups are going to look like because if you add Zion in a center, it means your best defender, uh, born in 1918, Herb Jones, is not in there. And they ask a lot of him defensively, so you've taken him out. And also, it would mean your best shooter, Trey Murphy, is on the bench. But it also means what? If, okay, if you put one of those in and then you play Zion at center, which has been effective in very small sample size, um, you are. Like Zion is huge because like he's thick, like two cs thick. Um, a lot of your other guys are pretty undersized, so you have to play Herb Jones, and now you're t- telling either Bi or Herb defend the four and I think that could be tricky. So I think Mm -hmm. Willie Green's got some stuff to work out, keep an eye on as far as his rotations because it's looking great now, Um, and it's going to be pretty effective in the regular season, but I'm not sure.
2: Just to add to what you're saying, Zion at center, I think, can work against some teams, but I think there are some teams that are really going to burn them if they go too heavily into that. I think there's challenges there, but...
3: Yeah, he's he's, he's, defensively, he's he's going to
2: best lineups are for for a given matchup is something they're going to have to spend the rest of the season doing. But the fact that they're this good already is a great sign.
1: Yeah, and it's a great sign that we, like, I mean, if you look at usage rates and these sorts of things we're talking about, both CJ and Ingram have had, you know, about a 5% drop from about 30% to about 25% usage from last season to this season so far on their side. But both of their assist rates have gone up about 5% also. So they're using the ball a little bit less and getting the ball out a little bit more. Um, Which, again, just kind of speaks to obviously Zion's probably a pretty easy player to work with on offense because of just how good he is by the basket. But just great to see that sort of buy-in, especially from a player like McCollum who was up to like 32% usage after they got traded to the Pelicans last year, which is crazy for a, a team that also had Ingram out there. So
0: uh, yeah, looking good so far. Yes, very impressive. Um, probably one of the teams I think that's been the most impressive so far this season. I, um,
3: yeah, and yeah. You,
2: you briefly mentioned Portland and I'll bring them up here because this is like, so The my, my surprising uh, take is trades that initially were looked at as very one-sided or questionable that I think honestly I'm surprised because I can look at these two trades in particular, where I think they honestly, I would argue, they're win wins. And I understand with the Halliburton thing, five years from now, I get that that might not age as well. But this is the this is the tricky thing about a team like the Kings, right? Is you can tell yourself you can hold on to a Halliburton, and you can tell yourself, uh, you know, oh, he's he's going to be this amazing player, and and it looks like he will. But the problem is. You have a fan base that does not has already you know what is it twenty years since they've been in the or fifteen or whatever it is since they've been yep. in the playoffs
3: like that's the thing yep.
2: want to see their team in the playoffs at some point you have to make a functional basketball team that wins basketball games sufficiently to go to like make it out of the play in or God forbid just make it into the playoffs normal fashion. And then, like, actually have a fighter's chance at a first-round series, right? So I understand that the long-term you can argue against the Sabonis-Halliburton trade. But to me, I actually think that's a win-win trade for both sides. And the reason why is that Sabonis gives that team a big man who can pass, which they literally have not had since those, uh, you know, the the teams that took the Lakers to the, the brink, right? Yep. And... That's that's a huge deal. Like he's he's a very skilled player. He's never like in the grand scheme of things. It's very unlikely that you're going to be talking about him in the same sentence with Halliburton in terms of careers. But right. you look at what he does to the chemistry of that team. And one of the reasons why we're talking about the Kings as, as a surprising team this year is because of the element of Sabonis making like it's more than the sum of its parts kind of thing. Right. Um, so even though I I like the trade long term more for Indy and I think Halliburton's a great player and it's funny that there, I also think he's one of the reasons why Indy is a better team this year than a lot of people thought they would be because he's just that good. But like I think it's it's possible that trade to actually be a win win where in terms of teams this season the Kings are a much better team this season than if they had Halliburton. And Halliburton and um, Fox are both great players, but I'm not convinced that they were ever going to work on the same team.
0: Oh, Brand. no, they never did. They never did. I, they yeah. were pretty poor together.
1: Yeah, both of them got unlocked by having that pick-and-roll guy, like having Sabonis to help out, and then yes. Turner uh, there. A, like...
2: a, a big with skills who can pass, it turns out that's a really valuable thing in the NBA. Who'd have thought? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I mean, they, you know, there's defensive issues there for the kings potentially depending on lineups and there's other stuff but like their offense is so ridiculously good that they're a very good team and i i guess to to double down on the chemistry thing for a second it's one of the frustrating things that i don't like about some of the talking heads involved in the nba is there's this very much like you you know this simplistic mentality of like you build a team like legos and i think the best example of this is the westbrook trade for the Lakers like anyone (laughs) the Westbrook trade and said oh well clearly you have a chance to do that you do it like I was sitting there yelling at my TV when it happened because I'm like everyone involved in this is an idiot and I, I understand that even you know like I might be vicariously calling LeBron an idiot if he was involved in saying yeah let's do this but the reality is you traded a bunch of hustling role players that that brought chemistry that brought like a Yeoman work of like I'm gonna do the defense, I'm gonna do the, you know, all the little things that it takes to for, you know, that help them win their bubble championship. You trade all those guys away, you bring in Westbrook and you go, look, on paper were Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook and and LeBron James, let's ignore the fact that there's only one basketball and that Westbrook's best years were like a decade ago. But, you know, we're just going to say on paper, this team is amazing. But the problem is chemistry is not what's on paper and chemistry is super important. And you can add you can add an element to your team that subtracts a ton, which is exactly what the Lakers did. They got rid of their role players, their defenders, their guys that did all the, you know, uh, you know, um the 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 dirty work that it takes to really genuinely win those 50 50 games right they got rid of all of that and they replaced it with Westbrook who's going to be pissed off if he doesn't touch the ball enough and who frankly is not good enough to warrant touching the ball as much as he does now so it's like it's you create this whole chemistry issue and then you get rid of all the guys that gave you good chemistry and and the Kings are kind of the the opposite example of that, where like, yeah, you gave up a really good player, but when you look at what they gained by getting Sabonis and by removing the alpha dog battle between Fox and Halliburton, their team just got so much better just by doing that. Right.
0: Yeah, I will say my one thing I'll push back at is this year Tyrese Halliburton could be All NBA, and Sabonis maybe will be an All Star. That could be. I agree that they that Fox and the Halliburton did not fit as was evidenced by the two years they were together, but, um, I mean, short term, and I think it, and it doesn't look like it's going to work out for the Kings, but, um, I think even right now this year, we could be looking at, like I said, an all NBA guy versus a maybe all star, which is like, I guess he fit better on your team in terms of with Fox, but if you had to make the decision between now, I'm saying your decision was between Halliburton and Fox for who he was going to be your guard. I think we know what the answer is, who you should have kept. Um,
3: yeah, but, I,
2: I think the issue is Indy was never going to take, uh, wouldn't have taken Fox, wouldn't have done that No, trade. they had a hard time.
0: They tried to trade Fox a bunch of times and nobody wanted him. So yep. uh, they just didn't I, have I, a lot of choice. I
2: agree with you, by the way. Like, I think Halliburton long-term is going to be an amazing player. And I think this is probably the best that Sabonis will ever be. But it's just, it's tricky, right? Like, I, I don't... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't envy GMs that are have a fan base that's like, "Hey, we haven't even like sniffed the playoffs in years and years and years." Like, it's to get a winning team is difficult because, and even like, it's a it's a weird problem to have where you're like, "Oh, you draft Aaron Fox, great player. You draft uh, Halliburton, that was a home run of a of a draft choice, right?" But the problem is, those two guys, if they don't work together, and they really tried to make them work, and and they didn't. Like you can't keep both of them. You're going to have like, they're going to be pissed. They're going to go somewhere else. And you become what the Kings have been for many years, which is the farm team to the rest of the NBA that like develops talent. And then they go elsewhere and then they become amazing. Like it's not a good, it's not a good pattern to be, to be in. Right.
0: Right. And um, if wait. you're the GM of the team too, sorry to cut you off, John, here. I'll say, I'll say this really quickly and then I'll let you go here. If you're the GM of that team too, we know that they have a playoff mandate from ownership So if you're the GM, you have to make moves to make the playoffs or you get fired. So, I mean, it 100% makes sense to me. If you're the GM, you'd be like, look, if I get Sabonis and we can make the postseason, I keep my job, so I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. it." Yeah.
1: Yeah, and that was exactly what I was going to say. Like, they made this trade kind of at the deadline last year, thinking that they were going to be able to compete for a play-in that Sabonis was going to help them get to that spot last season too, uh, which, which colors it for sure. Like, it Obviously, they were terrible even after they got him. And the addition of, you know, like Herter and uh, Murray and the, oh, Red Velvet, yeah, it has really helped the, this season fix some of the holes from last season's team, also. But yeah, yeah they a much better team. Yeah. You can see how hungry the Kings fan base is for a good team. Like, they're not amazing. They're 10 and 7 right now. Like, but the the fans are showing up. They've got the Beam team stuff. You know, the Kings are basically the only show in town <laughs> like yeah. and, the and and is I, a I, city hungry for this.
2: As a non-Kings fan, what I will say is, for years and years and years, I had no interest in watching their games because not only were they bad, they weren't good oh, yeah. bad; they were bad bad, right? Like because there's mm. there's a kind of bad that is entertaining. They were not that kind. They were the other kind. And yes. now they're not bad. And when they're when they're on, when they, when the team's firing on all cylinders, they're fantastic to watch. They're such a fun team, right?
1: Yep, they're a great league pass team for sure
2: and and that's right there that tells you something right as an outsider like i am not a fan and therefore if i'm saying like i would actually now want to watch king's highlights that tells you something has very much changed in the dynamic of your team um. Yeah. And it's the same thing with the, with the Portland uh, Pels one. Is it like, I I, I want to be very clear. I'm not, I'm not uh, in any way saying equivalence here, right? I don't think Anthony Simons and CJ McCollum, like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not trying to compare those two players one to one, or uh, certainly with the Sabonis, uh, you know, Halliburton, if you try and compare those, it's not going to be favorable to Sabonis. But this is exactly the kind of reductionism that I don't like about some of the talking heads in the NBA is they do that. And it's the same mentality that gives you the oh well clearly you go get Russell Westbrook and add him to the Lakers and it's like no anyone that actually knows how basketball works as a team sport understands that's a bad choice right whereas both of these trades that I'm talking about actually ended up being good choices I I, I would say for all four teams involved where uh, now of course Portland like when we had planned having this episode I was already (laughs) thinking about Portland and then they've gone on a losing streak which makes this my point not quite as cool as it would have been two weeks ago but I'm going to say it anyway which is I think Portland is a better team and one of the reasons why is defensively right and it's and I'm not saying Simons when I say that but like you get Josh Hart who I think is honestly an underrated NBA basketball player like him uh they got um I think getting Jeremy Grant was great I understand that's not part of that trade these things Mm -hmm. Just like the point with the Kings, these things are like iterative and they're, they're evolving and the teams are going to change over the course of the season. But my my broader point is by getting rid of McCollum, by getting a, a decent McCollum analog, and then by changing the guys around Dame, who I love. Dame's amazing, but you need better defense around Dame. Like the, the Dame-McCollum backcourt was too small and their defense was always just not good enough. To, there's a reason why they only made it to one conference finals, right? That team was just never going to be any better than what it was. But this incarnation where you have Nurk and you have, um, you know, Jeremy Grant and you have Josh Hart and you have these guys that are like are good defenders. That team to me is much scarier in the playoffs because you know, Dame is cold blooded and you know, he'll pull a 40 footer and end your freaking year. Right. But you also have guys around him that are going to have the defense that keeps him keeps your team in the game into the fourth quarter for when it's game time. Right. Yep.
0: Yeah. So like the Dame CJ stuff could kind of run its course. I think we all knew it's ceiling and it wasn't, you got to do something different. And uh yeah, I like the pieces that they added. I think, uh, Sean, did you not make a prediction about them? Oh, you said they were going to be the team that looked the most different when we, when we ended right one season and they looked super different and like, Got to give them credit because the moves they made have worked out their. I mean, we, it was like a year or two ago, or a year and a half ago, we thought Dame was going to get traded. Everybody was like, Dame's going to get traded. People were, he was making those veiled kind of like God, statements about maybe wanting to get traded and stuff. And, and yeah, was it was frustrated. like, yeah, not anymore.
2: I don't think he's the kind of player that would ever come out and do anything and pull a, you know, well, I won't, I won't name who I'm thinking of, but there's a certain player who plays in, on an East Coast team that, uh,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, is much more open with their, how they feel about their teammates and their coach. <laughs> and, Uh No, no, Dame, Dame's a class act. Even when he was complaining, he was doing it pretty subtly, but uh, it, I, I hope he retires uh, a trailblazer, honestly.
0: I think he will. And I think the reason he will is because Giannis won with the Bucks. I don't. I think if they had lost to Brooklyn and that team had went on to win the finals, it would change everything about the NBA because it would it would basically say you have to make a super team and team up to win. Whereas I think other players saw what the Bucks did that you could do it, be homegrown, not have to do this, you know, free agency team up thing. And I think other players in the league saw that. I mean, Julius Randle said it. I mean, like, the Knicks are never going to win, but whatever. And I think that... Effect, I have to assume that it affected Dame, too, to see, like... He could have won... This is the K, You I'll well, just say his name, KD. But <laughs> you kind of were veiled at it. Like, when KD went and won in um, Golden State, great accomplishment. He won those finals MVPs, the legit titles. He was the best player in those teams they needed him to win to beat the LeBron Cavs, but... It will never, even if Dame went somewhere else, it would, like the Lakers or wherever, it would never be the same as if he won one in Portland. Like by magnitudes, it would never be the same. So the chance to try to build something and stay there, to have his Dirk moment, we've mentioned him, right? Is, is worth it, I think, for a player who is so connected to his city and his team and loves it there, clearly loves it there, as opposed to becoming a hired gun and going somewhere else. And if you win, yeah, you win and you get that ring, but it's it's not all. It, it sounds weird to say, but not all rings are the same. Um, which is yeah, like and, true, but and, also and, not and, true, right? You know, it's it's like a my
2: controversial take is that I think rings are overrated. Honestly, like I think Dame, even if he never wins a ring, is going to be still will have been one of the best players in the league for oh,
1: yeah. his whole career. Yeah.
2: Like, yeah, just about. Right. I mean, like, it's he's so freaking talented, and I get it if they don't win. Like, I and this is, I'm glad you brought up Dirk because that's exactly what I was thinking of when you were talking about all this stuff. Is, it, I, you know, having the heartbreak of them losing in, in 07 and then just and knowing that like he was he was so loyal, and he went through suffered through so many years of bad Mavs teams, and then 2011 was like the heavens you know, the clouds part, the angels sing, you know, light Mm -hmm. down. It was like such a transcendent moment. And it's like, you just want that so much for that player. And I would love if Dame had that, like any, if they make a deep run, unless they're playing against my team, I'm always going Portland in the playoffs because for that exact reason is you want to see the homegrown guy that has stayed loyal, that has fought through all those crappy seasons. You just want to, you want to see him win. But I would argue that even if he never does in Portland, that does not diminish how amazing he was. And this idea of this like ring comparison thing where like, oh, so-and-so won this many and therefore they're this good. Like, no, man, the the players that play against him know no one wants to try and guard Dame in the fourth quarter. Like, that dude is complete assassin, right? And it doesn't diminish his skill in any way if he never wins a a ring with that team.
0: Right, I mean, that's what KD learned when he went to the Warriors was he thought winning... The ring was everything. And then he won the rings, and then it didn't mean anything. And it was like, yeah, I mean, I think one big thing
1: for for Dame, too, is you know, Portland was terrible last year, especially after he got hurt and they started doing all those trades. Uh, You know, I mean, they were putting out, (laughs) I think it would be generous to call it a G League roster sometimes. But the front office could have tried to tank or tried to trade Dame, but how? Quickly, they retooled just by getting, like you were talking with, with the Kings thing, just some good fits, right? Letting Simons have the ball a lot more,
0: letting Hart great play with
1: those lineups, and then yeah, getting a, a three and D guy like Jeremy Grant out there as well that can you know guard a lot of these positions yeah. and help out. Like it, it, it doesn't take that much, I think, to go from decent to good in the NBA when you have a superstar like Dame. Like, it's one of those things, like, if you're intelligently building around them, we saw it with LeBron, who's obviously on a different level than Dame, but, like, LeBron plus four guys that can shoot threes and play defense is a championship team. Oh, Dame with four guys that can shoot threes and play good defense, you know, is a playoff contender.
2: Yeah, and Le- Le- LeBron anywhere in his prime, which he's I would say just now kind of leaving it in my opinion. But right. with with the four four guys that you described is a terrifying team to play against, right? Yeah. Like four scrappy dudes who play D, who hustle for rebounds, who go for 50-50 balls, know their spot and are happy to shoot when they're open. Like that is a nightmare to play against. Right? It's so, it's yeah. and- and you take any of the transcendent superstars and you put them with four of those guys, and that right there is a basketball team, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've yeah, talked if about I it, the far. Lakers.
0: I, I would recommend looking at some players. I, there's some good three and D players that I think um, they should keep an eye on. Um, Alex Caruso, Kavious Caldwell-Pope, yeah. um, oh, Kyle uh, Kuzma. That, yeah, I was going to say like I pretty good guys, right?
2: Well, yeah, I feel like Kuzma would be a good fit on that team.
0: I can't believe. This is, people like,
2: oh, well, like, oh, Caruso and Kuzma, these guys aren't that good. It's like, that's not the point, man. Like, this whole, like, oh, because com- they do the player to player comparison. And, and, like, I'm not, I'm not, you know, sitting here as a Caruso stand saying, oh, he's an all star or whatever. No, like, none of those guys are all stars. At their best, they're like borderline, borderline, right? But and that's at their absolute peak. And that's probably all they're ever going to be. But the point is, they look like all stars next to LeBron, because he's that good. And you want guys that look like all stars next to your best player. It's the the depth thing, I think, is one other thing that I'll I'll go into for a minute, because I, I really think a lot of people that don't understand these trades, why they're good, right, is Like, why is Jeremy Grant, in my opinion, so good on Portland, whereas he was underutilized on Denver, right? And I liked him when he was on Denver, but he just, he didn't, there wasn't, you know, there's not enough basketball with the other guys on that team for him to really show how good he was. And so then he goes to Detroit and he's way overutilized, right? And he's over his head and he's trying to be Mm a superstar and that's not him. He's not, he's good. He's not that good. And then you see him on Portland, and it's Goldilocks. It's like the perfect fit, right? He's not underutilized like he was on Denver. He's not overutilized like he was on Detroit. He's exactly where he needs to be. And when he's your third best player, you're a scary good team. When he's your best player, you're the Detroit Pistons. And when, <laughs> and when, and when he's underutilized, you're, you're a Denver team where it's like, look, we're too good to really have you on the team, which sounds weird, but it, it's true, right? You don't have it. Like it's, it's a team game with one basketball. You can't give him enough shots and give him enough shine. And so he was not a good fit on Denver, but like, he's perfect on Portland.
0: Right. The, the, the key phrase is role players. Some guys are role players. They know what they're supposed to do in the team, play the role. As you mentioned, like three and D that's why these players work. That's why they're good in the team because they know I have, this is, this is my job on the team. They don't try to overextend and do too much. They just know what they're supposed to do. That's like that's why you need those players, guys who know their role players. And not everybody can be a star, and that is the key to building a team, right?
3: Yep. Yeah, totally.
0: Yeah. So um, I think what we'll do here right now is quick take a break, and then we'll come back and do our one thing to keep an eye on. So we will see everybody... After this message.
2: Hello, friends. Haldan here. After a long day of chopping trees and removing orcs' heads from their shoulders, I work up a mighty thirst. That's when I crack open a can of Minas Tirith Light. This golden ale goes down as smooth as the Anduin. And with only three calories, I can keep my swole bod. Ah. Minas Tirith Light. It shows its quality. Minas Tirith Light contains alcohol. Please drink responsibly, unless you are Nalir, in which case we don't care if you get blind
1: drunk and stumble into the cracks of doom.
0: Alright, welcome back. So... As I mentioned before the break, we are now going to do the second half of the podcast. One thing to keep an eye on, and Shellen has requested to go first, so I couldn't potentially steal his point as I just recently did. But honestly, Shellen is that's surprising. Where you know we got that tardy takes hive mind thing
1: going, right, on. right? Exactly. Yeah. No. So, so I just wanted the opportunity to steal yours here as well, since it's probably going to be the exact same.
0: <laughs> well, I'm sure there's going to be an element of it that's similar, because I mean. Uh, a lot of our stuff overlapped a little bit anyways, but um, all three of us. So why don't you go ahead and tell us your thing to keep an eye on here.
1: Okay, perfect. So as we were discussing a little bit on the break here, um, it's early in the season still. And as I mentioned early on, like the, the Western Conference in particular, the top couple teams are all separated by like a game and a half. Like there's a ton of season left, a ton of different ways this can go. But I would not be surprised if this 2022-2023 season is the season that we look back upon as the season that, like, the torch has been passed from the previous generation of the NBA to now this new generation. Now, I know that Giannis and the Bucks won a title a couple years ago, um, so it's not like a perfect start-end cutoff there, but championships, MVPs, discourse around the league has been dominated for the past 20 years or 15 years for some of these guys by LeBron James, Stephen Curry, Kevin Durant, James Harden, uh, Russell Westbrook, you know, all these guys. And almost all of them are on teams or themselves not looking... Quite as great. Like, Steph's still amazing. The Warriors starting five, still the best five man rotation in basketball. But the team Oh,
0: Steph might be like MVP.
1: Yeah. The team around him is just not quite good enough with the bench. Like, they hoped that the young guys would be good enough, and they've already sent Wiseman to the G League. Like, <laughs> that's all you need yeah, to know. Like, yeah. DiVincenzo hasn't been terrible, but he hasn't been Gary Payton or JTA good, even.
0: Do not slander like, Big Regu. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, but in the case of like the Lakers, they're bad. LeBron has like Bjorn mentioned, looked like he's starting to show signs of age beyond just the injuries, keeping him out from games. Durant and the Nets are a mess. And beyond even just these guys sort of taking a step back, we are looking at, I mean, if, we, if we're talking MVP candidates so far through a quarter of the season, it's Tatum, it's Luca, it's Ja. It, you know, it, we, this youth movement of all these young guys that we said are the future of the NBA, I think this might be the season where we're saying they are the now of the NBA at this point. Like it's, it's tough to say, I don't know what's going to happen in June, but when we're talking MVP candidates and finals teams this spring, uh, I, I, I think this will be the season where we say, this is where the torch was passed to this generation of players, which I, which I think is kind of cool to be looking at here. I, I, I mean, like you said, Steph's still probably gonna make a first team all NBA, but
0: Oh, uh, he might win I MVP.
1: He might, but like I think that the championship aspirations for these teams and in these sorts of things, we might be seeing the end of it.
0: Okay, well, what about um seeing a, a run back of a finals of two years ago? Bucks Suns. I mean, the, the Bucks are in second place, the Suns are in first place, and it's early, but they've both looked good. Um and
2: I like, I like that you sneakily we get your homerism in there, by the way. Well, well done on that. That was that was a nice, nice move.
1: Right, and that's why I say the Bucks are kind of the 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 outlier there, having already won a title. Giannis is, is kind of the bridge between those, right? Like he was already yeah. in his prime when he won the yeah. title. Um, so he so he his prime is like the beginning of his prime coincided there, the tail end of his prime coincide with the rest of them. So he doesn't fit quite perfectly, and I wouldn't be shocked to see him win more MVP and more titles because the Bucks are incredible. But uh, I, I think the Suns. I don't know. I'll trust the Suns when the Suns do something in the postseason. I suppose.
0: Yeah, when Chris Paul doesn't get injured in the postseason, I know that's like the big elephant in the we'll, room with them. But we'll put money on that. Yeah, I, I kind of had. I had a little something similar to you. Um, I had um, as a backup trades from teams that. It, that they themselves expected to contend this year, um, to keep an eye on. So I had teams like the Lakers, the Nets, the Warriors. They're they're underperforming compared to where they thought they would be. They could be looking to add. They could be looking to tear down. Well, not the Warriors. The Warriors would put add, add. I mean, I guess mm-hmm. they would trade their young pieces to get a veteran. Those other two teams, who knows? Um, I also had on the list some of the middling teams or disappointing teams right now. Um, the Wolves. The Mavs, Miami has not been good at all, Uh, and I, the Bulls, I think they've got a lot of problems too. So, um, I think what we could see is because it's so interesting you bring up the Warriors are the team to talk about the most here because they are you know the light years thing they're trying to bridge the gap between these two eras that you've discussed. They want to have the old core built around Draymond, um, Steph. And Clay, but they also wanted to play Moody, Kaminga, and did they say Moody already? Yeah. Wiseman. No, Wiseman is the other one. Sorry. Yeah. They need to
2: draft someone other than Wiseman if they wanted to bridge the gap between the two. Oh, yeah. That's the bummer, man. That was the one you can't miss.
0: Right. And and what it, it looks like to me is, man, teams are just showing up to the Warriors and they are just like, taking a straight punch right to the face. I mean, that is what's happening to the Warriors here. Um, teams just do not respect them and fear them in the way that you would expect from a champion. Um, they're awful on the road that defensively, as you mentioned, their they're young guys have not, not been good. Their bench year has been horrible. You know, big Regu, DiVincenzo has missed a lot of time, and hopefully he can kind of, I liked him on the books. I thought he was an interesting player, but... Um, He's not played that well for them either, to be honest so far. But I mean,
2: Poole hasn't um, played up to his extension either.
0: Yes. Uh, he almost looks like a guy who got punched in the face in the offseason. <laughs> <Out. laughs> oh. I mean, they just look so dysfunctional at times too. But yeah, I mean like there's the, I mean, Pool, his starting numbers versus when he comes off the bench are so drastic this year. Clay has he's had a couple of nice games recently, but offensively he's just such a shell of himself. And offensively, he I think he's done a better job the last few games of trying to let the game come to him instead of forcing the game. I think he's sometimes so desperate to kind of get back into his groove that he's kind of forced it. I think he's doing a, a little bit better job in the last week or so. But, um, yeah, I think it's, it's funny that you bring it up, and then we're, here we have one team who's actually trying to bridge the two gaps, and it is not working and I'm curious to see will they package any of those young players to try to get a vet they're going to try to ride the course it's difficult to say I mean Lacob he made that bold prediction I mean is he going to be the one who's willing to sign off on like we're not going to be light years ahead it's not going to work I don't know what you think about that Sheldon
1: yeah I mean I don't know that they have a lot that they can do you know those guys are on rookie deals still and the, you know, they're so far over the tax that anything that they're taking back in on salary has to be less or matched. And I think they still have a trade mid level or trade exception on there so they could bring in a tiny bit more salary on a vet, but the type of guys you're gonna bring in that are difference makers would be, you know, your Gary Payton, the third level guys who <laughs> couldn't afford this offseason anyway. You know what I mean? So it it's tough. You needed Wiseman <laughs> to look like he has ever played basketball on the defensive end in his life. Uh, and you needed Moody and Kaminga to be better than they are. And it's just not happening so far. And, and they've been so bad that they can't even give them minutes because, you know, they need to stay in the in the hunt, you know, within striking distance. So that it's not like they could even yeah. go out and give these guys 20 minutes a night and to develop them because they've been so bad, especially defensively, that uh, you you just lose I, I, too many games
2: I, I honestly feel similarly about the warriors as i do is what i said earlier about the lakers where like i really think you guys miss uh you know gp2 and um you know auto quarters auto like yeah. and this is the thing yeah. like i'm not saying you know these guys are not amazing players but like they were a bench that you could go to last year where you guys were not just it wasn't falling off a cliff right and your bench this year is
0: oof they have really regressed. They looked pretty interesting last year, and you were like, ooh, they're showing some interesting flashes. And you would hope they would have taken a step forward, but I, I think each one of those players took a step back this year. And Poole as well, who um, kind of doesn't really... I guess he technically fits that group of the young guy that's, that they're trying to push forward. But um, yeah, they've all actually went back, which I think has really hurt them. Uh, none of them... If even one of them had taken a step forward, that would be helpful, but it's been zero. And as we said with Kaminga, the guy just not played enough basketball, and that's why they sent him to the G League because it's like we just need you to get minutes well, and you learn. Mean
2: Wiseman or Kaminga?
0: Oh, sorry, Wiseman. Sorry, um, I keep talking. About, I, I love Kaminga, so I, I, I just keep talking about him all the time. Um, but yeah, Wiseman, he just doesn't. He's not played enough, so um, that's why he's in the G League because they just need to get him minutes.
2: And he needs to learn how to play NBA defense because. Mm-hmm. You can't, the Warriors are constructed. You can't have a center on the floor that can't play defense.
0: Nope. Yep. Right.
2: That's a no-no.
0: They're they're perimeter players. I I know Steph, he's in the right spots, but he's undersized. Clay, I said he looks cooked, and Poole sucks at defense. So the perimeter players are just not good enough. Wiggins is good, but yeah, if you play center on that team, like Looney, (laughs) he has to play a lot of defense on that team in those lineups, and Draymond, too, um, as well and he's another guy who's looked...
1: W- w-
2: Wiggins is in that um, Jeremy Grant category, though, where like when he's your third-best player, you're a championship team. When he's your second-best player, that's not a good sign.
0: Well, except for last year, I thought he was second-best, but...
2: Yeah, yeah, at times, that's fair, but I, I, it just... There's like a team... I know, Jimmy, I'm generally speaking, you're right. They're relying on Wiggins too much this year for perimeter defense, and that's not a good mm-hmm. place to be, right? Like he's good. I'm, I'm. I'm. This is not me knocking on his game. I just think right. that as a team, when you're saying like, okay, he's got to be our saving grace on the perimeter. That's that's tough, man.
0: He's not that. He he's a good defender, but he's not that level of defender where you're like he's Kawhi and he peaked Kawhi and just gobbles up everything. It's like that's. But that's what they need him to be because defensively they're just yep not there. Yeah, I agree. Um. So now that we've ragged on your team enough, Shellen, should we move on? Or do we, do we want to, should we dunk on them some more?
1: <laughs> no, let's, let's move on. Well, we might have opportunity to dunk on them later in the season, too. Who knows?
0: Okay. Dan, do you want to go, or should I present here? You can go ahead. Okay. So Shellen kind of snuck his Homer thing in. I'm just going to go straight out here. And uh, my thing to keep an eye on, and the reason I'm picking it is because we have, like, four years of data to go with it. Is the Bucks three point defense? So famously, last year, I'm sure everybody who watched the postseason watched Grant Williams shoot what <laughs> he shoot, like 18 threes against them or whatever, and just yeah. bomb them out in Game Seven. And honestly, I was okay with it because Grant Williams. um Well, at that point in Game Seven, you kind of have nothing left. Everybody, you've played all your cards, so you're like, "Well, there's nothing new we can do." We've Empty the tank, so we got no more. New, we got no more ideas, as it should be. And then also, if you look at Grant Williams' numbers outside of that game, they were horrible from three. So I totally get the the logic. Uh, but the Bucks' three point defense under Budenholzer has been horrible for his entire tenure. And I'll let you know how bad it is by reading you some statistics here. In uh, his first year, and this is going to be. How many three point attempts have they allowed their opponents to shoot per game? In his first year, they allowed 36.3 per game. Dead last. The year after, 39.3. Dead last. <laughs> the year a- uh in 2021, they allowed 38.6, not dead last, 28th. Ooh, slight improvement. And last year was an abomination. They they gave up forty point six three pointers last year, by far and away last place. Uh, I mean, the big problem was they gave up so many because um, without Brook Lopez, they, their defense just completely fell apart. But what's so interesting about them this year is, as of yesterday when I I did this, they were allowing thirty one point three, or sorry, thirty one point one three point attempts per game which actually put them in 5th place, uh, which is shocking. That's like over 10 less than last year. And we know that the Bucks have an all-defense level player, two actually, in uh, Drew and Giannis. And it looks like, I mean, Brook Lopez looks like he could be the front runner for Defensive Player of the Year this year. So we know that their paint defense is so good. But the three-point defense for many years, actually all the years under Bud, has been a very big Achilles heel. And if they tighten that up, it could have massive implications in terms of the... Basically everything in the NBA, because if they continue to play such amazing defense, they will probably win another title Um, because defense is like the most important thing in the postseason. And... Now they're playing amazing defense right now. They are first in net rating. They're fifth o- uh, in defense. They're fifth overall because they have a 22nd best offense. I'll tell you about this. I think so much, but um, one of the things about their defense so far this year is they are holding their opponents to 44.5% overall field percentage from the floor. That is second best. Unfortunately, they are shooting 44.9% from the floor, which is 26th best. So basically, um, it's a good thing I don't have League Pass, otherwise I'd I'd be like, I'd be such a master at watching rock fights, I would turn into Korg from uh, Thor Ragnarok because that's just basically every single one of their damn games is a freaking rock fight. Um, Because they can't shoot the ball, their opponents can't shoot the ball, and ugly basketball, I think of course... They have not had Chris Middleton, their most important ball handler, and second-best player, so basically anything you talk about with them offense right now is completely irrelevant. they also missing Pat Connaughton, who's like their seventh-best player, uh, played closing lineups in the NBA Finals for him, so I'm not worried about their offense too much. Um, A little bit about Giannis. He's kind of stunk this year, in my opinion. It's funny. I say he sucked this year, but he's still playing very high level. He's he's shooting 52% from the floor. 22% 22% from three and 57.5% from the line. I think he's having actually a pretty bad year, but it's still really good because it's Giannis. Their transition offense has been not good despite getting rid of the take fouls. You think they would be good, but um, we know the Bucks won a title because of their defense when they got P.J. Tucker that year, and they just absolutely locked teams down with Giannis, Tucker, Brooke, Drew, and now they added Javon Carter this year, who is like... I mean, we talked about Grand Theft Alvarado, and he's annoying, and he, like, watch Javon Carter. He picks everybody up at full court. He makes you dribble all the way up with the court with him guarding you. He's also very annoying to play against. So um, that has been the staple of the Bucks for all the years of Has been poor three-point defense, yet somehow good defense. And if they have good defense overall and good three-point defense, they're going to be very, very difficult to beat because we know nobody finishes at the rim against them. So, And if you're not going to be able to hit threes, and they're not giving them to you, I don't, it's going to be tough to beat. So that's my... If it sustains and they are able to continue to do that, it would be shocking, first of all, as a Bucs fan, that they were not giving up 8 million three-pointers per game, but also could be an indicator long-term in terms of a very important statistic for the title. So that would be my thing to keep an eye on. Very though. Yeah, sh- no.
1: <laughs> that is definitely interesting. Um, and, and, you know, we and I have discussed this a little bit here and there, but number of field three-point attempts is the best metric to track for three-point defense because there's been a lot of studies done that show that like you the way that you contest shots doesn't really matter all that much in terms of made threes against you what really matters is if that you're not giving up the open shots um or not giving up the shots by volume so that is definitely kind of been their their weakness defensively so yeah we'll see how it works they've got a couple teams in the East there that are looking very good as well that I think will certainly test them if we get to see some of those series. A Celtics rematch in the playoffs would be a lot of fun. I would hope to see that as a neutral fan. Yeah,
2: I could um, do without it. With you, I personally I'm not judging the Bucks one way or the other until they get Middleton back because I think it's just
0: definitely they're not, they're not yep. the same
2: team without him. And, and sure. Just, they're too good to dismiss. Even like, even if he's out for you know longer and it takes him a while to get back in, you know, uh, the swing of things. Like I'm still there. You know, your team won a championship recently enough with the same core. I really like Holiday. I really like Giannis. You know, your defensive scheme is, I think, pretty solid with with the exception of the three pointers as a weakness. I think that when you get everyone back and going, and um, also Brooke is. It's incredible to see the transformation he's made as a player because when he came into the league, he was not known as a defender. So, oh,
1: no, he was awful. Yeah, now he's an amazing defender and three point shooter out of you know what I mean? neither of those things. He, uh, he is sure of, of, the,
2: of the change the NBA has made in the last 15 years, I would say.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because he, he came into the league as like a prototypical big man in, you know, 2008. World. Like,
2: shooting mid-rangers and rebounding and, like, yep. being a mediocre defender at best, and now yep. he's bombs threes and is one of the best defenders in the league, which is so bizarre to me.
0: Yeah, yeah, he used to just, every once in a while, they will give him give them the ball in the post and be like, go to work because we just need points, and it's like, oh, yeah, did you forget Brooke Lopez was an amazing post yeah. player one time? It's he, not like you forget how like, to post up players. Like
2: six or seven <laughs> years in New Jersey doing nothing but abusing people in the post. Like, it's really funny yeah. to, yeah.
0: He's the all-time leading scorer in Brooklyn still, I think, because of... Nah, he, yeah, he, play.
2: he was on an island on some terrible teams for a long time. So, yeah, that does not surprise me at all. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I I think the jury's still out on how good the Bucks are going to be, just depending on who, who comes back when and when they their core gels as a unit.
3: But, right, there's... a. In the east,
2: man, Boston is scary. That's all I'm gonna say about that. Like I'm with Shell and I would love to see that rematch, but like I'm worried for you guys if that rematch happens because looking at it today, like man, does Boston look scary. Yeah,
1: Yeah, but the Jalen Brownler high (laughs) too. Oh yeah, well Yeah, yeah, or can he stay off Twitter before he gets in trouble too? (laughs) Uh, Yeah.
2: I am not touching that with a ten foot pole. No, definitely not. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah, I
0: think to kind of wrap up the Milwaukee thoughts, yeah, they're difficult to assess and show angles. We don't know what he's going to look like. That was their big offseason acquisition. And they are. uh, So at lunch, Dan, you were like, I don't like Grayson Allen. I wish he wasn't on your team. Well, there's a lot of talks that they're trying to shop him. Uh, In particular, they really want Jay Crowder, which I'm not sure. Is Jay Crowder that much of an upgrade over Grayson Allen? I guess offensively, but Crowder's been so awful. Plays terrible last year, so. I mean,
2: um, he, I guarantee you, he's one of those players that plays like twenty percent better the moment he gets traded. But I still yeah. don't think that you know he would be a huge upgrade.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah I, I just don't like
2: Chris and Allen because he's because he's
1: dirty, but he's actually yeah, of course, he's actually useful to your team. Yep, and he's shooting a career high from three point this year for him too. So I mean, yeah, he is he is a piece, even though he. Did all of his Duke nonsense and
0: everything? Yeah. So yeah, they're they're difficult to assess in terms of what we know about them now because it's just like they're second best players out. Uh, You know, they're saying, we don't know what Joe Ingles is going to look like. He might suck. He might be amazing. Uh, We don't know if they're going to try to make a trade. Uh, I mean, they're they're, they're, and they're good now. I think this was kind. They've kind of have a soft schedule, but. yeah, they're still second in the East. They still look really good because even even though I have said I think Giannis has not played well this year, um, that's because he has such a high standard that it's like most teams would be... Most players, if you had his statistics, were like, wow, a career year. And it's like, I'm like, God, he's been not good this year. So Yeah,
2: but uh, he's he's so much scarier in the playoffs anyway. So that's the other reason why to me it's like regular season is great and it's definitely great for teams that are trying to... Like, integrate a new piece or coming back from injuries yep. or whatever. But Giannis to me is so much scarier in the playoffs than he is in regular. I mean, not to say that he's not scary in the regular season. I just think that, like, he really, uh, his advantages are highlighted in the playoffs, is, yep. is my opinion yeah. on that. End.
0: Yeah. And they've only added, like, one new player, Bochamp, and they basically have the same team as last year that if Middleton doesn't get hurt, I think most people seem to now think would have won the title. So, uh, yeah. I mean, not too much to be concerned. Just kind of an interesting anecdote about them is uh, what we've always thought is their Achilles' heel maybe is gone, which could be fascinating. But also could be still there in the postseason. I don't know.
3: <laughs>
2: well, they really need, Mid- need Middleton, though, because the offense without him is not a pretty thing.
0: Oh, yeah. Like I said, uh, what did I say? Uh, 22nd in that rating? They're horrible. They're terrible. It's ugly to watch. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, but. I think we've had enough Bucks talk here since it's not a Bucks podcast. Well, I I I really wanted to
2: go three for three with you guys and do a homer take. But uh, there's really there's just not that much interesting stuff to say about Luca. And there's nothing good to say about my team other than Luca. So I'm not going to talk about Dallas. Um, No, actually, my take is uh, to keep an eye out for trades in a particular range of teams. And that is, uh, there's there's teams that, and I again, with the caveat that it's early, but there's teams that already are not as good as I thought they would be. A good example in the East is Miami. And then, yeah. even though I didn't love the moves they made in the offseason, I'm surprised at how bad Minnesota has been. Um, And I shouldn't, oh, I, like, yeah. like, shame on me, I shouldn't be surprised. But it really, like, I thought adding one of the best defensive players in the league would really make a difference on their team but it's clear that they have deep, deeper seated issues on that team than just that
0: i got a lot to say about them in my uh, honorable mention stuff so yeah we can yeah yeah and I, i'll
2: I'll, I'll, leave, I'll leave that all that for you guys to 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 jump on uh as well but there's a, there's a range of teams that i think i have been it's safe to say have been disappointing so far and depending on the team and depending on the ownership and a bunch of other factors like they could either go one of two ways they could say like we need to make a midseason trade to like be the team we thought we were going to be coming into this season and we have not yet delivered on uh and Miami I think is probably in that category because I just do not see Miami Miami as a tanking team so I could see Miami making a midseason trade to really try and like shore up whatever they feel like is not working because they've got too good of a coach and Jimmy Butler is a junkyard dog and they're just they have they don't have the right personnel to be like hey screw it we're just going to tank but they're just not very good right now and so I could see a trade okay. making a difference to a team like that uh, Minnesota I definitely think needs a trade because it could be one of those addition by subtraction thing where like there's just they don't have good spacing they don't have good defense they know there's just like a lot of problems on that team and I don't know. Part of it is probably the way the, the system and the coaching or whatever else. But it's there's this range of teams that I really could see uh, a trade coming for them. And I'm really curious to see what that trade would be and whether or not it actually solves whatever their problem is. And also for any, anyone in that category is there's a point at which they're going to be like, well, we're we didn't want to be bad, but we are bad. Do we just, like, trade away the vet that's not going to be cool with us being bad and go all in for Women Yama? Yana, that would be the other side of it, I think, that we could see.
0: I think Bogdanovich on the Pistons is the uh, quintessential, like, vet who doesn't fit a team that sucks because he's too good, but it's like... And, and a lot of teams would want him if he was available, especially because yeah. he's an expiring contract. Teams would be really happy to have him, but it's also, like... I mean, he he does provide useful stuff to this kind of young team. He provides a useful skill that they kinda of still need. So it's like, okay, so do we keep him and try to extend him because he's good for like what we're trying to build this core, or do we just cash in because uh his value is probably not gonna be any higher than it will ever when we'll have him? And, and do we just try to get
2: talent is generational talent, yeah. right? I mean it's pretty like like I agree and we said earlier, like you don't want to sabotage the culture of your team like like it seems like Houston is done, but um he's man victor is that really that good
0: yeah <laughs> he's crazy we we gushed we've gushed about about i think on our last two podcasts we've been talking about it like crazy because it's impossible not to talk about it because well it's uh, definitely i
2: mean i think come in the spring it's gonna it's gonna affect this nba season right yes, like when you yeah. know the upcoming draft is that it changes the math on what you do
1: and it's a lot easier to commit to 'cause like you talked about earlier, like the the rate the the weight of the lottery is a lot less than it has been in the past. But when you're staring down, you know, this late March stretch and you know if you lose three games you get five percent more chance. Like you're gonna have to do it as as a front office. You know, go get that minor surgery. Here, have a, a rest, this guy. You, you know what I mean? So I, I agree with you. I think <laughs> We're going to see some of these business decisions these teams make uh, as the season progresses. And and because
2: they don't need to be bottom three to still have a a, a chance, right? Like you don't, this is the other thing, I think that's the other argument is you don't have to all out, like you don't have to do capital P process. You can do lowercase p process and it can still be statistically worth it,
0: right? You could still be like, as you're saying, you don't have to be all out terrible, terrible. You can just be you can just non-competitive. Games you need to. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. As I, the, I mean, the, pl- the
2: plan. It'll be interesting to see, right? The plan was partial. Part of it was designed to prevent that, but the reality is, there's going to come a point, exactly to what Shellen said. Like, there's, there's a, there's a. It's really a function of the calendar where you just look at the schedule, you look at your upcoming games, and you say, well, you know. We could go into these games trying to win, and that's going to put us like right up against the edge of the play-in. And what is our realistic chances if we get into the play-in of doing anything, right? Or we could just say no. Let's set our best guys. Let's encourage you know people to take do whatever little lingering bugaboo surgeries have been you know have been they've wanted to do. And then like okay, it's it's pretty simple, right? And then next thing you know, you're in the you're in the running for. Generational talent, but yeah, I'm, I'm I'm more curious in the in the case of teams like Miami though, because I I don't see them Italy as a teams. team, and they are they're they're not as good as I thought they would be. Honestly,
0: I agree because I think everybody just kind of penciled them as like, oh, it's Miami Heat culture, blah blah blah. Like they got dogs, but yeah, their roster. Well, Kyle Lowry, I'm not too sure how much he's got left in the tank, but
2: um you know the answer your old thing is not worth <laughs> yeah. it i i love lowry and like what he did you know uh my my wife and i were such you know for one season such fans of the raptors right and like for him like he's another example to me where it's like and you know even though technically now he's on miami like he was one of those like i could see him you know just sticking sticking it out with with the raptors like and and it's such a fairy tale ending to like the beginning of his career was much more tumultuous. Right. And so for it to be like, you know, stick it out on the Raptors, they trade your best, you know, your best friend and for a, for a Kawhi rental. And then you guys win the championship. Like what a what a fairy tale. But yeah, his 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 career is really how to say this nicely. Um, he's in the mentorship phase of his career.
0: <laughs> well, he's not at the Haslam stage yet. Uh, Mm -mm. I got to give credit to that guy for continuing to cash checks and never playing basketball. I mean, he's a true, he's a real
2: genius. He's like an assistant coach now, right? Isn't that what Haslam basically is?
0: Basically, and he's also the bodyguard for us (laughs) both.
2: You do not want to fight. Oh my goodness.
0: (laughs) Uh, Sheldon, is there anything else you want to say about Miami? Because I want to talk about Minnesota here because they were actually in my surprising thing. So I've got uh, a few things I want to say about them.
1: No, I don't think so. Other than to say, I, I think I agree with Dan's thought that like the heat culture bit and Jimmy bit, I have a hard time seeing them not being in the conversation come playoff time, whether that's Riley making a good move or just them turning it around a little bit. I don't know. I, I'm not super low on them yet, but I agree that it could be very interesting to see if they need to, to shake it up a little bit.
0: Yeah. I mean, Duncan Robinson is their, I think, their main piece that they can trade, but I don't know if a lot of teams are going to want him. I don't know. You know they also, like, they started to play him again a little bit more, but they, like, never play him, so it's like his trade value is never going to go up if you never play him. You have to get him out there so teams can see his three-point shooting and hopefully turns around, but, I mean, he's had a big fall off. I mean, God, yeah. Um, All right. Time for me to go into this Minnesota stuff here. Because, like I said, this was my uh, second thing that surprised me. Because, Sean, I know we both had Minnesota as a lock to be top six. We were like, they're going to be a really good regular season team. And it sounds like Dan kind of thought the same thing. Um, they had that nice run in the postseason. <laughs> they had, of course, the hilarious Pat Bev on the scorer's table winning the play-in. Um, and they actually they pushed Memphis pretty hard, I thought, in that series. And, Honestly, they should have won the series if they should have. They blew it. I think they had multiple twenty-point leads <laughs> in games, in multiple games. Yeah. And then with the time when Chris Finch didn't take the timeout, and they were blowing the twenty-one point lead, or whatever, just horrible coaching. That's what you do with you have like a, a veteran team, like the Heat, as we're bringing it up. You could not call the time and be like, "Figure it out, you guys are vets. You've been here before." Not something you could do with Minnesota, but um the the reason why I did not do them is my surprising thing is because they actually have turned it around a little bit. Um, they are now, let me take a quick look here. Uh, 10 and eight, they are on a five game win streak. So they were five and eight. And so, oh, we could go over whenever we started this. I was like, boy, this team sucks. Um, they've turned it around. They're not as bad anymore, but I think they have some underlying issues that have not gone away and will not go away. Um, I think there's a lot of off-court stuff that we've had with them. You know, they've had a lot of sniping in the media. They've had uh, the cat with the calling out Ant about his weight and the Popeyes thing. You know, the team posted his actual over <laughs> overweight weight. Like teams never do that um, for his official weight. They said he was two thirty six, and teams usually lie about that. Um, you know, Ant, as great as he is, he's still like he's always like twenty two or twenty three, and he acts like it. Um, he had that comment about. Um, why, when he couldn't, he wasn't dunking the ball early in the season. He was saying, like, oh, there's too many people in the paint. He was like, Eric's better. He had the comment that was a veiled threat or thing about Gobert. Um, the one time when he had the comment about the paint thing and then he got mad and, at, at the thing, and he was like, this was such a wild story. He told the PR person, he was like, Can you stop asking or can you tell them stop asking questions about this? They work for the team. It's like, The reporters do not work for the team, Ant. I don't know what he was thinking there. (laughs) Um, He had the whole series uh, that one time when he... The ball did not come to him. He just stood on the perimeter with his hands on his hips. Clearly pissed off and didn't move at all. I mean, he's... Yeah, he's acting like a young player who needs to... I mean, he's 22. I mean, I'm not going to be too harsh on him. I know he's supposed to be their future, but he's he's young. He's got to learn, right? Um... D'Lo has sucked. I mean, it's a good thing his number is zero because that's my expectations for him. Um, And the Gobert thing, as we've mentioned, has not worked on offense. Um, This was from five days ago. I think um, Bontemps wrote this, that uh, per 100 possessions with Gobert on the court, they are scoring 106.6 points, and that would be 28th best in the league, so that's really bad. Um, Cat is still Cat. He's so frustrating. The guy cannot stop fouling. He's second in the league in fouls again. And it's like, you're not... I said Anto's 22. It's okay when you're making mistakes. When you're Cat, you're not 22 anymore. You have to know not to do this stuff. And he makes the dumbest... He makes. He still makes the fouls. I watched him a couple... Two games in a row on national TV. He still does the same things where he just gets pissed because they don't call. And then he makes a frustration foul. And it's like, you are too good. To do that, you cannot be making dumb plays like that. And he's just not an intelligent basketball player. And in fact, I think Jimmy was right about some of these players on this team who are losing players and don't have winning mentalities. They don't like they don't care about actually winning. They only care about their stats. You know, Cat after one of the games, clearly loudly was stating this so other people could hear. I'm a I'm a two time All Star. I'm a two time All Star. So people could hear it because that's all he cares about. He doesn't care about any of the stuff that matters for winning. The team has no leader, because Ant is the best player, but as I mentioned, he's too young to be a leader. Gobert is the only person with any experience, and everybody in the league seems to hate Gobert, doesn't want to listen to him. As I mentioned, I think Cat is just a losing player. And yeah, Minnesota, I know they're on the five-game win streak. They're Very disappointing to me. I think their underlying problems are not going to go away. In terms of some of the roster construction, I mean... Clearly not. And, yeah, just, um, you mentioned needing a trade. I think they should trade. At some point, they might have to think about trading Cat. You can't trade Gobert. You can't trade Ant. Uh, Nobody wants a DLo, And Cat's, like, the only guy on the team. They they made a huge mistake in getting rid of some of those uh, in the Gobert trade with not just the picks they gave away, but with the players they gave away. They gave away veteran leadership, guys who played defense, and guys who worked hard. And... I mean, I I personally think Gobert's a good player, but it's not working. It's not going to work. I think this team is... Yeah. Uh, Anybody else have anything to say about Minnesota? I'm really going in on them here.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean... You're seeing all of the same issues with Minnesota that you saw with Utah with Gobert is kind of the frustrating thing if you're a Minnesota fan. The the positive would be kind of similar to what we talked with the Pelicans in that like this is a kind of a weird lineup construction. Uh, I I tend to agree that I don't think it's a good fit necessarily, but we haven't had enough time of them on court together to, to really get it figured out yet so that would be your reason for optimism. But yeah, that that stat that you brought up was the one same one that I was going to bring up with the the on-off ratings for Gobert are the same things that we saw in Utah. When he's on the floor, your defensive rating becomes one of the best in the league, but your offensive rating tanks. And unfortunately for them this season, we're not seeing the defense his defensive impact be quite as large as it was in Utah. Um I don't know if that's the team around him not being used to playing with him, if he's lost a step, or if it's just a small sample size, but his negative impact on the offensive end of the floor has been greater, which again makes sense because he's playing with another big now that they kind of got to work around, but his defensive impact hasn't been as much. Uh, It's far too early to call it a (laughs) a failed experiment or anything like that, but uh, it, it is troublesome when you think about Everything they traded away for Gobert on their end, but like I said, we'll see. They they've got some time to figure it out. They are ten and eight. They're right in the mix in the West still. Um, it's not like they're bottoming out or anything like that. They're they're still above water and have a chance to make it work.
0: I can't believe I'm saying it was a mistake to get rid of Pat Bev. I freaking hate that guy. <laughs> and I'm like, they should have kept them. Oh my god. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean.
3: It, it, it turns
2: out it's useful to have a pest on your team, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean I watched them a couple of uh times in the last couple of weeks and I was just like, This team doesn't make sense. I they have not taken a step forward. I think that I mean that was the whole point of making the Go Bear trade was to take the leap and instead they just leaped off a cliff. Like it's not working. And as I said, I think one of the big problems is their best player is too young and doesn't, he's not ready to be the man yet. As good as Ant is in terms of physical ability, um, mental and uh, emotional maturity isn't there yet. And that's okay. I mean, he's 22, but as I, I keep mentioning this because it's so important to bring up that he's still so young because we think of these guys who are like, they should be winning titles. And it's like, um, Chris Vernon loves the stat to bring up with a mismatch that most people that we think of as great title winners don't win until, like, they're 27. Giannis kind of bucked the trend because he was, like, 26, but, like, Jordan, LeBron, um, Curry, they didn't win until they were, like, 27, and Ant is only 22. He's got a long way to go. So it's okay, or it would be okay, if they hadn't basically pushed the chips in, and that's the problem, is that they pushed the chips in to be a contender now and they're to me. It's clear that something is not right, whether it's something in the locker room, whether it's on the court it's kind of both a little bit. Um, I would be very concerned if I were Minnesota about the team not working. I know it's early, but I have not liked, I have watched them multiple times and I do not like what I see. Um, so, um, Kind of piggybacking backing off of Dan's thing to keep an eye on. Uh with the kind of like middling teams looking to uh trade. But that was one of my things that surprised me was I was shocked at how bad they were this year, because I thought that they would be a top four team, to be honest. Because I was like, Oh, they have all the makings of a great regular season team. I don't know about the postseason, but um I'm thinking probably again playing for them because um. well, the Kings are now making it. I think the Pelicans are making it. And then it's like, you know, you're looking at the standing. It's like, is Utah going to hold on? You know, there's still Memphis.
2: So that would be the narrative that would just absolutely crack me up is if they trade, you know, Utah trades Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert and ends up as a playoff team. <laughs> and then oh, then the better record. Not, that would be amazing. <laughs>
0: That would be incredible, yeah. If they had a better record than the Wolves, despite trading their two best players, that would be all time hilarity. I couldn't even imagine. Like, yeah, that would be insane. I, <laughs> I don't. Know, I, I can't even fathom it. It's so. It's so crazy to think about. But I mean, right now in the standings are higher. So, um, I've actually now, now that we, and I think about it. That was the last thing in my my list of things to talk about here. Did anybody else have any rapid fire things that they didn't get to use that they want to go over? I like I said, hey, I'm totally. Like I
2: mentioned it to you at the top, but it was before we were recording, so I'll repeat it here. Is that, uh, and this is my one one little Homer comment is uh, I love everything Luke is doing, except he's shooting too many damn threes, and he's so <laughs> yeah. dominant in the paint that every time he shoots a step back three a little part of me dies
1: yeah that's tough yeah. The, the mavs are definitely an interesting one i know we said we weren't really talking about like things going on tonight but one of the interesting subplots for the past few weeks has been that christian wood has looked like the best second best player on their team and he's only gotten like 15 18 minutes of run in most games cuz kid wants more defense out of him when the Mavs just desperately need somebody other than Luka to take some offensive load, too. Uh, but he got 35 minutes tonight and put up an, a great game, despite the Celtics winning pretty easily. But like it, it, it's interesting. Luca, his usage stats are Harden level or more when we're Boy, talking Jared. about Prime Harden. In Houston. Like OG
2: Jordan level or something.
1: Yeah, we haven't seen like this sort of... He just doesn't have a, a secondary ball handle. He doesn't have that Middleton or, or that uh, Jalen Brunson out there to to help him out this season, so it'll be interesting. <laughs> Hopefully he, he holds up, because he's playing great, but he just doesn't have a ton of help out there.
0: Yeah, I feel like they'll be okay for the regular season, because the heliocentric stuff can... Work. obviously we saw it with James Ball that it was successful in Houston but it's it's when you hit the postseason and everything has to run through one guy so much that you get a problem and I think that's going to be the issue as far as the Christian Wood thing goes I know he's putting up great numbers and I know the reason Kidd doesn't like him is because of defense but also if you put Luka and Christian Wood together in the starting lineup tell me who's going to score points off the bench oh definitely that's the real reason I think he won't play them together is because if you remove him from the bench, I guess your hope is that like, oh, you're so, you're so thin. Like, that's the thing is like, is Hardaway going to be your guy? I, um, yeah, I...
2: No, we have this Slovenian named duca Lončić, and he's gonna. <laughs> yeah, he's going <laughs> bench, and uh here he's pretty good. Yeah, no, the the, the number of minutes that Luca is gonna end up playing because of the fact that he's, you know, like the whole team on some level. It, it it's mm-hmm. not a good system. It's the same reason why James Ball wasn't good. Like we need to we need to do something. But I will say, I am actually not super upset that we let J- Jalen Brunson go, and I, and I know that there are other fans of the team that are like, oh my gosh, how could you let him go, blah blah blah, like uh, I was not, like, if Jalen Brunson is your answer, is your number two guy, I'm not convinced that's a championship NBA basketball team. Yeah, the,
1: the Jalen Brunson talk for them is much more of like a hindsight as 2020 thing, like they should have, you know, with, with full knowledge of what was going to happen, should have offered him the extension during the season. That yes. he wanted Agree. Not necessarily. They should have matched the amount of money he's getting but, from the Knicks. Now. But I'm
2: actually not like crying myself to sleep that we don't have him now, and it's and I'm happy for him. I'm, it's great that he's doing well on the Knicks. But like I I'm, I'm I agree with you guys. Like we need an answer long term for a number two that takes the load off and makes it makes our team viable in the playoffs. Makes it a real cohesive basketball team, not Luka ball. But. That person is somebody else, and I, I'm not convinced that's Christian Wood either. Like, it's great no. that he. No,
0: it's has, not Christian Wood. Has
2: shown flashes, but I actually am like, I, I, his defense is not good. He gets targeted. There's no, there's no two ways about it, right? Like, I think in the playoffs, a a, a good team is going to absolutely torch us if we play him too many minutes. Yeah,
0: yeah Christian Wood has been on a lot of teams for a reason. Um, a few reasons actually yeah his defense is horrible and also he's not really very good in the locker room um most famously houston he had the big blow up and uh it, it went public but yeah he's not really well liked by other uh guys so much so i i think uh i have <laughs> um it's funny because sheldon is playing fantasy basketball for the first time this year and i was telling him like oh, you should target Christian Wood for fantasy because he's an empty stats guy. He puts up really great stats, but he's a losing player because uh, I had him one year and he was really good for me. But I was like, I'm he, not sure. Tr- he looks nice in the box score. You look like, wow.
2: We need to quantify locker room chem- chemistry and that's how you make it a cohesive whole for, for fantasy league because it's like, oh, well, you know, you got a bunch of three-pointers, but then you uh, you threw a shoe at your teammate's locker after the game, <laughs> so that's going to be minus yeah. five
3: points.
2: Like.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I uh I'm not totally convinced I'm in either. So yeah, I mean, as far as Brunson, I think I think he's more like a number three guy. I think if he's number two, you need a you would either need well, I guess Luca is like the type of player where he's so good you could get away with a less good number two kind of like I like Middleton, he's a good player, but Giannis is so good that Middleton doesn't have to be Ad in the bubble or Kobe good? He's just very solid, very good. Like a
2: Middleton. Middleton to me is a much better player on both sides of the floor than than Brunson,
0: right?
1: And much more complimentary to Giannis.
0: Yes. Oh yeah, for sure.
2: One hundred percent.
0: Yeah, but you you only need a player of his level. I don't think you need another like. Because Middleton is an all star. Oh, no, right? no, I mean,
2: yeah, no, no, Like, I understand the cap. I'm not saying we need to go out and get some flashy all star. That's not at all what I'm saying. It, uh, Shellen's point about complimentary is dead on, right? No, I'm, like, I'm, I'm agreeing with you here. Completely a fit thing where, like, you get, you know, like, you look at everything that Giannis does and you go, okay, who do you bring in? And, like, that's why, to me, the Drew Holiday trade. Yet another example, what I was talking about earlier, where like chemistry is worth more than it's, you know, it's more than just taking the stats of all the guys on your team and adding them up and saying, what is the total of that? Like Drew Holiday is the perfect guy to have next to Giannis. Right. And like on other teams, Drew Holiday would not look like as good of a player, but on, on the bucks, he's great. Right. And that's, those are the kind of guys we need to put around Luka, Is Like who are the guys that fit perfectly next to Luca?
0: Right, right. Because I think Brunson's like, like I was saying, I think Brunson's a number three guy. I guess maybe if because Luca, if we think he's like a Giannis level, maybe you could get away with him being number two. I don't think he's the right fit though. But, um, yeah. I mean, it's I a think...
2: good, it's a good problem to have, right? It's it's an, it's it's like the NBA privilege where you're like, oh, we have transcendent talent, and we just have to get a good team around him. Oh, cry for me.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah. It, it is difficult though finding the. Correct person to put with them. I mean, we've seen, we just talked about Dame, right? They never found. I liked C, CJ, was a good. They, like, CJ and Dame were good together because they um, got along. You know, they had good chemistry. So even though they both kind of were similar, it was like you didn't have fights. But they, ne- CJ was not the right basketball fit next to Dame, even if he was like a good locker room guy next to dame so i think that's the yeah. I, I don't i don't know who the guy is to go with luca because the way luca's gonna have to ch- i hate to say this but luca might have to change the way he plays a little bit to actually oh. get a, a two that would actually work because he's he's got the ball too much and yeah he just needs he needs to have that's what that was the one thing that was nice about brunson was it made luca defer a little bit at times because i think luca's just got it too much. That's. I think that's, I mean, that's obvious to say, but
2: he's yeah, also no, he, he, no go ahead.
1: Oh, I was gonna say he's also in that weird headspace that he's been so good that he's been in the league since he's got here. I mean, he was first team all NBA his second season, right? Like that. It's it's hard for at least for me to remember that this is just Lucas age 24 season. Like he's 23 right now. Right. Just like the answer. Bring it up. Like uh, they got. Not that they have time. You don't want to waste these all-NBA years. But um, this year's Mavs team is not a title contender, despite how good Luca is.
2: Nope, not even close.
1: But like we talked about with Dame, it's it's not that hard with clever roster construction to get just the one or two right pieces that push you to the next level up. And with how good Luca is... That next level might be good enough to win a title. Uh, so, yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely a reason for optimism, even with the real bad salary cap situation they're in for the next two years. Um, if they can find a way out of that Bullock or Powell contract or something and open up something for this summer, they'd be in a lot of pretty good shape. So, they might be one of those try to trade sort of teams that you're talking about, even if you're just trying to get an expiring. Uh, just to create some cap space would be an interesting thing to see from them.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all because to your point, they're not they're not going anywhere this this season. Like they they could be a playoff team, they could be a play-in team either way. I'm, it's it's fine, but like I'm more interested in what are their roster decisions next year? What is the like plan going going forward because I I agree With you, Brad, the the comparisons to James Harden kind of like it it, it begs it, right? His usage is so high. He's incredibly Mm -hmm. talented, but you just that's not like basketball is a team sport. You don't want to construct a team around one person. That's a very bad way to try and make a winning basketball team. And when you see the on-off numbers, you realize that because it's like, even at age 23, 24, like, he cannot play every minute of the game, and when you have your entire team built around one guy, turns out when they're on the bench, you're pretty bad.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right, because they, what happens is everybody just focuses on turning down the one guy and it's like, all the role players have to win the game for us, and it's like, as we kind of mentioned, they're role players for a reason. Like, they do that thing, but they're not stars, and the problem is if you just have the heliocentric team where one guy does everything, it puts such a burden on the players who honestly can't do it. I mean, that's, like I said, that's I mean, why they're not excited about the players.
2: Prospect of, of four consecutive Spencer Dimwitty uh, isolation
0: plays? Oh, God.
1: <laughs> right. Well, and yeah, when your entire offense is so isocentric around one guy, when that guy's off the floor, it's not like you can spend all of your practice time and chemistry time with guys and all of a sudden have a well-oiled motion offense when Luke is not on the floor, right? <laughs> you, you kind of are who you are. Um, yeah. Further, it, it is,
2: It's funny that it's the second incarnation of the Dirk problem, right? Like transcendent generational talent, very unique game. But you've got to build your teams. Like every one of those Dallas teams that was any good was a Dirk team. Like you build it around the star. And I know, I, I, I understand that might sound like a really obvious statement because every team's built around a star, but there are some stars like LeBron, I think, is a be- the best example of this. He's so freaking versatile. You can build 20 different winning NBA basketball teams around LeBron. There's like one. And they, or did. Two, and they did, yeah. Um, and you look at the various incarnations of LeBron teams and they're all like many of them are very, very different from each other. But I think someone like Luca is there's a narrower range of winning team that you build around a Luca or a Dirk or players like that.
0: Yeah, the trick is to find the right players to put with him. And I, it, it's difficult to tell with Luca. I think, who exactly the right players are because he's still so young. We don't yeah. kinda really well. So
2: the good thing, and this is a difference between he and Dirk, is that he's such a good passer that anyone that has basketball skills is good next to Luca.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. The the yeah. We'll see. We'll have to see. Cuban famously could never get any free agent. He never got one that he wanted. Well, I mean, hope
2: if you're not attracted to playing next to Luca, I don't know what I exactly. and you're, when you That's call gotta be a basketball hope. player I don't know what you're doing, man. I don't I don't know what to say about that. I don't know. I, yeah. I, I think money is a factor for especially some of the young guys that haven't been paid yet, and so there's other there's other decisions or you know maybe location. But, I mean, Texas as a no state income tax state, I would imagine this is a pretty good place to be making NBA money
1: at. Yes. Yep. No, I think they'll have a better chance this time around.
0: Yeah, and you know Cuban takes care of the players too, obviously. Um, I think we've thought for a long time Dirk was taking less money because Cuban was uh, how do I say this? He uh, was definitely...
2: Under the table?
0: <laughs> yeah, he definitely made some promises to Dirk. And obviously we see Dirk in the front office now, so... Uh, or, you know, as an advisor to the team, so, like...
2: Yeah, I mean, hmm. it's the same thing with, you, with your team, right? Like, you wouldn't expect Giannis to have a front office position the moment he retires? Come on.
0: Yeah, if he doesn't just end up in Greece, living his life, yeah. I yeah, mean. okay,
2: that's <laughs> That, that that could also be an outcome for him, but like if he wanted to, right? You know the offer oh, is sure. the moment he retires, like, hey, do you want to be an assistant coach of the Bucks? Like, sure, like honorarium, man, they'd give him that forever.
0: Oh and yeah, like the...
3: I <laughs> that is
2: it, it's a bad thing, right? I like I think as someone who loves the NBA and the way it's evolved over the years, like I think this is good, right? You have like Dame should be a part of Portland, and then when he retires, he should be in the front office of Portland. Like that's the way the stuff should work.
0: That was what was so cool about the seventy fifth year stuff was seeing all the old players kind of coming back out and seeing how, um, generationally, how you know things had passed on our players still, uh, how everything kind of worked together. It, that was what was kind of uh, one of the cool things I thought about that. Um, I know Shellen probably hated it because uh, Clay was not on the list, so I'm sure number seventy seven about this. Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, I mean those. Those, those things are so political. I didn't mean to cut you off, but that, that whole thing is very political, right? Of Who makes the list?
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it's pretty hard, to to, to do because, like, yeah. um, you know, you're trying to project forward players like Luka or uh, Jokic at the time, and it's like, that's really hard to tell, you know, um, to put them on, whether or not to put them on the list because it's like, you can't tell. Um, so... Uh, Sheldon, did you have anything else that you wanted to add? Any other points that we did not go over?
1: I did not. We we exhausted everything I wanted to talk about, I think.
0: Okay, and Dan, I believe we exhausted everything on your end, correct? Oh, yeah. yeah, we did. Okay, we exhausted everything on my end. Um, but before we wrap up here, I wanted to say uh, thanks to Dan, and I guess thanks to Sheldon. Uh, not that it was not that hard to corring you into doing it, Sheldon, but thanks for taking the time, Dan, um, for joining us here. It was fun to talk basketball. I'm sure it was fun for you to talk um, something slightly different to make your return to podcasting and <laughs> be a totally different topic. I'm sure it was interesting.
2: Yeah, um, no, I, I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for having me, guys. This was fun.
0: Yeah, I agree. we, um, why don't you say goodbye before I, I make Dan do one last thing before we we go here?
1: Perfect. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I, I had a lot of fun. Well when we convene again we'll have to reach out again dan it was more fun with with three of us than it was just Bardley being incredibly prepared and me just agreeing with him like like the last couple podcasts have been so
0: no i kind of like that on. but okay <laughs> <laughs> um so before we go the last thing dan i have to ask um because shellen and i are on the record for doing um finals prediction i know you get the advantage of having seen some teams as opposed to yeah. us having to do it without having seen teams play at all. Who do you have in the finals and who do you think is going to win?
2: Okay. So to be fair, I'm going to give you what I would have answered at the beginning of the season. Excellent. And then I'm going to give you what I think now. And they're not the same thing. Um, (laughs) i i would have i would have picked the warriors to come out of the west at the beginning of the season i really thought they were there was going to be momentum from last year and that although they're older that i just thought the, the experience and the core and yada 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 so it was warriors in the west for me and then um i actually had uh warriors bucks with um the warriors repeating but yeah, I, I don't think that anymore. Um, I think as of today, which feels like cheating because I have gotten to see quite a bit of games and see. <laughs> like there's it's early, but there's momentum trending. Right. You could say that. Uh, I would say as of today, I would say it's going to be. I actually could see. That would be kind of fun. I'm going to say Phoenix, Boston and and and, uh, and Boston wins it.
0: OK, I think that's a pretty good as of now prediction. I think I would still. I would still favor the Bucks just because we, we we haven't seen them clicking yet, but um, yeah, no, Boston I'm very good.
2: There's there so many outcomes like so the other one I would say out of the West is like I, I was going to say Memphis, but like it, it's so early, right? You just like yeah. it's shooting in the dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that, that's a, that's more fun. Screw the Phoenix one. I, I'm going to say a uh, Memphis, Memphis, and Boston. I still think Boston is a scary good team this year, though. So I would pick between those two teams. I'd pick them to win it all. But that's my that's my hot take.
0: I think those are pretty good picks. Um, I think that was pretty reasonable preseason as well. I think that's actually. Is that what is that not what you picked?
1: Yeah, I picked Bucks over the Warriors preseason also. Okay. Or different champion, but same finals.
0: Same finals. Okay. And then, yeah, I picked uh, Bucks over Denver. And I guess Denver's in second place and Milwaukee's in second place. So I guess I don't feel too bad, but uh, I still feel okay about that. So we'll see how that turns out at the end of the season. So I um, want to say again, thanks to the two of you for joining. Thanks to anybody who's uh taken the time to get to the very end of this a uh, very long podcast. And uh, uh, hopefully I'll have this out soon so maybe you can enjoy it on your holiday weekend. And thanks so much, and see everybody on the next episode.
2: Night.